Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 160 for Thursday, October 25th, 2012. Our call in number is 347 3541. Again, that call in number is 347 3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347 815 0687. 347 815 0MTR. As always, if you don't want your feedback to be played on air, please make sure to specify that in the message. All right, we got a lot to discuss. We got a really crazy opening monologue for this week I got to share with you guys. It's pretty much, it can be summed up as one of Rich's worst weeks. So I'm sure you guys will get a kick out of that. But first and foremost, like I said at the start of the show, the call-in number 347-324-3541. Besides it being the call-in number, you can also listen to the show Via your phone, just do not hit the number one and you will not be entered into the caller queue. Just a quick reminder about that. As always, you can also listen to it via the Mixler tab on our Facebook fan page. Just go to uh, facebook.com forward slash radio, Click the Mixler tab and you can listen to uh, 92K Stereo on the Mixler app as well. As always, any episodes released afterwards in podcast form can be heard on Stitcher. Which, by the way, I wanted to take the opportunity and thank all of you that nominated us for a Stitcher Award. Uh, those of you that have gone on and have voted for us. I mean, I think the voting might still be open. We appreciate it. I saw a lot of you guys did. And it's um, it's really great. It's, it's something I really, really appreciate. Um, as you know, we are still in October. It's still Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And we are still doing Brawling for Boobies community game nights. As always, the... Game nights are not mandatory to donate. If you want to donate, you can donate without having to play, or you can donate and still participate. It doesn't matter. It's one of the things we decided to change this year. We have done tremendously this year. We've actually surpassed our goal, which I will share with you guys at the end of the month with the grand totals. I got to thank all the people that have donated so far. I'd like to thank the people that have 
contributed not only with regards to participating in the game nights, but just retweeting, spreading the word, getting getting the information out there. We we really 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 appreciate it. Last night we um, I decided to take it to the PS3 with a little King of Fighters 13. Had a solid turnout. Got to thank all the people that came and joined me on the PS3 side of things and also played and donated there. We really appreciate it. Um, we're going to be doing um, something different next month. I mean, next week, I should say, just to wrap things up. Either um, I may go with some new games. Some people are asking if I'm going to do with I'm going to go with Marvel vs. Capcom 3 again, which seems to be one of the more popular titles. Or maybe go with the Street Fighter 4. We'll see. If not, we may break out the Tekken Tag Tournament, maybe, or some Virtual Fighter 5. Or finally, I'll get around to Marvel vs. Capcom Origins. I know Best Buy is running the buy two games, get the third game free. Gotta thank Slick for sharing that, not only with the people on the fan page, but also reminding me about that as well. So I may actually be able to pick up a couple of games over the weekend that we'll be using next week to wrap things up. Uh, Like I said... Anybody that wants to participate in any of the game nights, you don't have to donate, but it would be appreciated. Um, ah, yes. Whoops. Sorry about that, Slick. I saw something that he <laughs> he had mentioned. I didn't I didn't reveal it. I didn't reveal the total. I just said it, it'll be revealed next week. <laughs> I'd be fucking up. Um, anyway. I am extremely wired. I decided I'm going to drink the giant... 24 ounce can of monster energy is it 24 ounces i don't even know it comes in what looks like a nitrous oxide canister so my heart may explode while i'm on air but you know what to entertain you guys fuck it let's do it um a couple of other things also i wanted to get out of the way we got it we got some really awesome t-shirt designs you guys are gonna lose your minds when you see what we decided to do um we should be launching those hopefully by tuesday once the designs are finalized i mean i made a couple of corrections for those of you that are fans of Buried, you guys have something to look forward to. Uh, there's going to be some crazy stuff with the MTR logo. We're going to take that to a completely different level. And we're also going to be adding some new enhancements to the site. I actually emailed our developer today because we've been having some issues with um, certain things, certain widgets, and they've kind of been messing things up. So I'm taking the opportunity to do a little house cleaning and add a couple of things there. So be on the lookout for those enhancements as well all right tonight's topics we got to talk about the ultimate fighter we got to talk about ronda rousey and dana white and dana white uh talking out of both sides of his mouth this week uh we got your wrestling stuff we got games we got your entertainment news there's a lot to discuss but i want to share this week's monologue because there's um there is a Rich had a, a very and and I and I'm not referring to myself in the third person for anything other than comedic effect, but Rich had a very very interesting week this week, and um, the funny thing is that usually when I share these stories with you guys, I get a, a ton of email either saying that they laugh their asses off or whatever, but the fact remains that it's sto- it's stories like this that. I share with you guys, not just because it's therapeutic for me and keeps me from killing everybody in my circle, but um, this particular, these particular stories this week were just, just out of hand. And the first story involves um, a family member of mine, well, uh, a, a family member by marriage, 
which um, Slick will probably figure it out real quick, so Slick, do not spoil it. Anyway, this particular individual, I decided to do the right thing, and I said, you know, I'm going to add you to my cell phone plan. Now, we all know that family plans are are shared. So whatever, I, I talk a lot, I use my phone for business. And... Um, this this particular incident is is quite amusing because what happens is I get a um I get a message from T-Mobile which is my carrier telling me hey your bill is ready so like any like any good individual you go and you do the responsible thing and you check your bill so I checked the bill and the bill was five hundred and sixty five dollars. Now, many of you know that for you to have a $565 cell phone bill, either you're calling a lot of 1-900 numbers or you have the shittiest plan in the known universe. Anyway, after I proceeded to rip the remaining hair out of my head, I proceeded to call T-Mobile. Now, the beauty of T-Mobile, much like many companies here in the U.S., is that they get outsourced to India. And the problem with that isn't the fact that, that the Indian people are handling my tech support. It's the fact that usually they're their true understanding of the English language is frankly in the toilet. Anyway, so a young lady gets on the phone and we, we had a pretty decent conversation. So I tell him like, look, what's the story with this, with this phone bill? So she says to me, she's like, Oh, it's coming from, from X phone number. I'm like, okay, that seems to be the family member who I added phone. I'm like, so what are the charges? There were $200 in long distance phone calls, $200 in long distance phone calls. All right. Anything can happen. Everybody makes a mistake. Sometimes you call the wrong person. Maybe it's an app, whatever. I, I, I took it for, for the best thing ever. Turns out that the $200 phone calls were to Nigeria. Now, many of you that know me know that I am the furthest thing from fucking Nigerian, right? If many of you know me, you guys know that I am a rice and bean eating rage machine, and so is pretty much the rest of my family. So I have no reason to call Nigeria. Neither does my wife, neither does anybody else on my plan. So I go and I say, hey, I want to dispute the charges. And the lady, the lady goes, look, had it been a one-time thing? Sorry, um, but we can't. So you're on the hook for like $200 plus. So I proceed to pick, hang up my phone. Mind you, I'm working in my office. And dial the person who who got who ran up the phone bill. As soon as they pick up the phone, I pretty much told them that I was going to kill them dead. And the reasoning as to why it happened. So the person was very apologetic, blah, blah, blah. But they didn't dispute the reasons for the charges. So here I am ripping my mind apart. Like, how the fuck is this person calling Nigeria? And what the fuck are they calling him for? Okay. Fast forward a couple of hours, I get a call back with the information. Seems that this person decided to let their significant other use Skype on their phone to call someone in Nigeria. Now, many of you are probably like, what the fuck does Nigeria have to do with anything? Well, here's what happens. This particular individual de decided to um, look for an apartment. In looking for this apartment, he responded to an ad that the person who owned the apartment was in Nigeria and that, you know, if they were interested in the apartment to contact them, this person contacted the person in Nigeria who then promptly told them to Western union them 
$2,100. So this dummy, this fucking nincompoop, this complete bag of dog shit decided to actually wire $2,100 to Nigeria. And the calls to Nigeria, the guy, the, the, the Nigerian guy was like, oh, well, you know, Nigeria's long distance, just call me via Skype. So you see how this comes full circle? We are in 2012. 2012. If you get bagged by a Nigerian scam of any sort in 2012, you should be bent over and just stabbed in the ass with Barbie dolls. How does that make any sense? How do you get how do you get fucked over by Nigerians in 2012? If you're renting an apartment, buying an apartment, ordering a Russian bride, you do all that shit face to face. I don't give a fuck who you are face to face. I'm all about face to face interactions. If it's not face to face, I better have an address where I can find you and show up on your doorstep because I'm a big fan of that showing up on people's doorsteps, usually with a weapon in my hand anyway. So that, my friends, is how Rich's Week proceeded to go with the Nigerians, with the fucking Nigerians. Nigerians and Western Union. We, everybody knows about the Western Union scam. We see it on Craigslist. We see it on eBay. We see that shit everywhere. The Nigerian scam is as old as it gets. Hello, my name is Prince Umfutu Numbabwe, and... My, I represent a sultan who has $1 million to give you, but in order to release the funds, we require $2,500 in order to expedite the processing fees. Seriously, this is the shit that happens in my universe. In Rich's universe, this is what goes down. This. This compounded with car shopping. Car shopping was the second thing that I endured this week. I went car shopping um, for my father-in-law, my father-in-law was going to get himself a car. And here's the thing. Car shopping is, is a cutthroat business. And you know, I respect dudes that, that, that do it and it's their hustle, but there are some fucking guys that they swear I got off the boat yesterday. Seriously. I got off the boat yesterday with some of the things I saw. I had a, a guy, I had a, I had a, a Indian guy, a salesman chase us down the block asking me if I was interested in buying a car. Mind you, I'm walking away, and the guy's chasing me down the block asking me if I'm buying a car, if I want to buy a car. First of all, you're chasing me down an entire New York block, which is fairly long, to ask me if I wanted to buy a car. Do you not think that if I wanted to buy the car, I would have walked into your lot See the logic, my friends. This this is the madness. This is the madness Com compounded with a with a bunch of other small idiosyncrasies, including trying to get our YouTube channel live streaming yesterday. Live streaming was a complete bag of dicks yesterday because I plug everything in. I go through Twitch TV. I got to thank our our buddy De Silva, who who said to me, "Hey, your picture looks good, but your audio is shit." This is what I endured for four hours. So yeah. You see that giant can of Monster Energy? 
that I posted on my Instagram, which you can follow at rich underscore MTR. That is what's fueling the rage this evening. So yes, fucking Nigerians. I'd like to send a big fuck you to Nigeria and a big fuck you to the individual who took it upon himself to go into business for himself on somebody else's phone. You are a fucking moron. There's no discernible way around it. You are a boob. You are an idiot. You are a dummy. If you get scammed by a guy who's sitting in front of a Skype camera with a fly in his fucking eye. If you're talking to a guy through Skype and it's a video call and you see mosquitoes in his fucking eyelids and he's not blinking and he thinks it's all good, clearly you're getting fucked. Clearly. If you see a grass hut and a, and a cheap Hawaiian shirt and a Cleveland Browns Super Bowl championship baseball cap, you know that the Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns haven't won shit. So you know where the fuck you're calling. You are a dumbass. Simple as that. <sighs> I, I can't. I can't. But this, this is the shit that happens in, in my universe that creates... The, the fountain of rage that you guys tune into every week. Anyway, speaking of rage, let's talk MMA. Let's get into this week's MMA and, of course, the Ultimate Fighter, which continues to just hobble along, in, waiting to be put out of its misery before the John Jones Chael Sonnen season. As I've said, this season of the Ultimate Fighters just it's so lackluster. It so is. And I, I've gone into it at length with Ben, without Ben, uh various people I've spoken to. Anyway, Eddie Ellis representing Team Carwin fought Colton Smith in, in what was actually a very solid and entertaining fight. The only problem was with this fight that I thought we were gonna go to sudden victory into a third round. No third round. We ended up giving the majority decision to Colton Smith. The way that fight went, it, it clearly needed a third round. There were there were some great exchanges. Ellis looked really good. Um, he stunned Smith a couple of times in that first round. Stumbled him once. Got some nice takedowns in there. Smith looked really good in, in, in his portion in the second round. But it needed a third round. This is the shit with judging, and and we joke around, uh, we joke about it, and we talk shit about judging. But don't leave it in the judges' hands. I pray to God, Allah, the devil, whoever is listening, that Sonnen Jones turns this shit around. Because if you can't have Chael Sonnen and John Jones turn around this fucking sinking ship of a show, then please stick a bullet in it. Do that immediately. It, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous the way it goes. It's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing it, as bad as it has got. But that's besides the point. It, it it'll be it'll be over before you know it. Let's get into some other MMA news. Just a reminder: our MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. You need rash guards, T-shirts, fighter apparel or any of the cool shit you see your favorite fighters wearing, make sure to hit up MMAWarehouse.com. If you're on MyTakeRadio.com, click that MMA Warehouse banner. Helps us out. Takes you to one of the best places to get MMA merchandise on the web. Rash guards, Slick. Rash guards. 
If I said Asgard's, I am sorry. Breaking my balls. Christ. Anyway. So, we all know Chael Sonnen is fighting John Jones. We all know that. Chael Sonnen was supposed to face Forrest Griffin at UFC 155 to close out 2012. Obviously bringing forth the Mayan apocalypse. So, instead of that, Forrest Griffin will now be meeting Phil Davis. Which is a, a pretty solid fight. I think Phil Davis, no disrespect to Forrest Griffin because I love fucking Curious George because that's who he looks like. Love him to death. He's an he's an awesome dude. He's just his 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 approach to fighting I just can appreciate. But Phil Davis is Phil Davis. He's gonna go in there and do what he's got to do, especially after the victory he got recently. Forrest Griffin may may be in there getting his ass whooped. But who knows? Forrest Griffin's been known to pull out the occasional upset. Anyway. The main event for UFC 155 is supposed to be Junior Dos Santos defending his heavyweight title against Cain Velasquez. Chris Weidman will be taking on Tim Bocek. Joe Lazan's taking on Gray Maynard. Alan Belcher is taking on Yushin Okami. Phil DeFries is taking on Matt Mitrione. And Chris Lieben is taking on Carlos Vemela. I actually am looking forward to that Lieben-Vemela fight because that's just going to be a, a, a bloodbath. And and Mitrione, he always, uh, he always amuses me. I like watching him fight. He's such a a lovable oaf. So I like watching him go in there and smash people's brains in. Um, Lazan and Maynard is definitely fight of the night, in my opinion. It has so many ways that fight can go. Um, obviously, Gray Maynard can come in there, use his wrestling to set the pace, sprawl and brawl. But Joe Lazan, great submissions, nice crisp stand-up. Should be fun to watch. Uh, Weidman, he's on a tear, so he's trying to make a, a statement going into this fight with Tim Bocek. And I'm hoping that this will be the fight that puts him into title contention. Only, it, there's no other, there's nobody else at this point. I mean, if he wins, he should get the next shot at Anderson Silva. Unless Anderson Silva takes it upon himself to move up to 205, which may not happen. But, what can you do? Anyway, let's get into some Bellator news. There's there's a couple of things coming out of Bellator this week. Last week's Bellator 77 card was really, really good. Bellator 78 is tomorrow night. You can catch it on MTV2 with the prelims on Spike.com. Just a quick reminder, Bellator will be moving to Spike TV in 2013. On the main card, you got Alvin Robinson, Daniel Strauss, Brian Rogers taking on Dominique Steele, um, Andre, I'm going to mess up this poor Russian guy's name, Andre Koreshkov taking on the, the, the Marius Zaramskis, which I know is going to be an awesome fight. I like Marius Zaramskis. His fights with um, Joaquin Spiritwolf are always really good. And not for nothing, he's got a couple of entrances when he fought in Japan where he came out dressed as Akuma. I'm sorry, that's that scores points with me. I'm a sucker for shit like that. And Lyman Good taking on Mikhail Sarev. And those are the welterweight tournament semifinals. On the prelims, we got a couple of decent cards, uh, decent fights, including Zoila Gurgel taking on Casey Noland. And there's been a lot of complaining out of the Gurgel camp that this is that this fight is on the prelims and not on the main card. Take that for what it's worth. I know I can understand why they did that. I mean, she won the belt, never defended it. And there's been numerous issues regarding her being on television. So who knows what the deal is with that. But you can catch the prelims on Spike. And I'll probably catch that fight because I want to see uh, Zoila Gurgel fight. I actually enjoy watching her fight. She's a, she's a scrappy young lady. She goes in there and gets the job done. In some other Bellator news, they announced that for Bellator 79, unfortunately... There have been a couple of fights that are actually in jeopardy. Uh, Paul Daly's fight is off because of visa issues. 
So he is out. Eduardo Dantas is also out as well. Bellator 79 takes place November 2nd in Canada in, in um, Casino Rama in Rama, Ontario. So the card is shaping up as follows. Kyle Baker's taking on Ryan Ford. Douglas Lima's taking on Jacob Ortiz. We're going to get a featherweight tournament semifinal with Mike Richmond taking on Shabulat... Sh- oh, I'm going to... Shabulat Shamhaliev. I'm, I'm thinking that's his name. If I bludgeoned it, I am sorry. Um, and Richard Hale taking on Thiago Santos. Spike.com is going to get a couple of decent fights as well. And that's going to go down November 2nd. I'm bummed. I was actually looking forward to seeing Paul Daly fight. Um, big things I'm expecting out of Paul Daly in Bellator. Unfortunately, visa issues put that out of commission. Now, last week I mentioned that Francisco Rivera and Matt Riddle both were suspended due to testing positive for banned substances. It seems now that both of their fights will now, their fight, re, the fight results are going to be turned to no contest. Uh, Matt Riddle tested positive for marijuana, and right now they are, they, there's been no mention of whether he's going to also have to give up his $65,000 submission of the night bonus. The third suspension went to Jake Shields who's been suspended for six months after a positive test at UFC 150. So there you go. These three guys are on the shelf for the time being. We'll see where they go from there. I mean, Matt Riddle's always been a very interesting prospect. Francisco Rivera had a solid, solid performance. Um, You know, he defeated Roland DeLorme, first-round TKO. And Jake Shields, like I said, he's been in flux, especially after the passing of his dad. So hopefully he can get himself together and get back to his winning ways. It's unfortunate Jake Shields is such a huge prospect. People talked about him so much. A lot of, you know, you had a couple of guys that were on his dick. And and don't lie, there were some of you that were. Jake Shields is the man. Jake Shields was good, but I've always felt that people put more pressure on him to be better than he is. He is good. He's he's definitely one of one of the top fighters in his class, but he's not He's, he's not a god, you know, he's not one of those god-tier fighters, and I hate using god-tier because that's that's so street fighter-ish, but you guys get what I'm saying. I think Jake Shields is a tremendous talent, he's an excellent fighter, but too much too soon, too much pressure on him at this time, so hopefully he gets himself together. As I mentioned, the Ultimate Fighter finale takes place December 15th, and that's actually coming together quite well. Uh, Jonathan Brookins is taking on Dustin Poirier. Tim Elliott is taking on Jared Papazian. Also on that card, Nick Catone, TJ Wahlberger. Um, the, of course, the tournament final and the main event, Shane Carwin and Roy Nelson. Personally, I like Shane Carwin. He's a nice guy, uh, one of the better ambassadors for the sport. But how could you not love Roy Nelson? He is just a, just a giant woolly mammoth of awfulness. Just great Brazilian jiu-jitsu, durable as shit, can take an ass-kicking, and he's just he's just fun to watch. He's a fun guy to watch, regardless of whether, you know, the fact that that he has to have a kickstand for his belly. Um, actually, he, he's gotten in really good shape, so I can't even use that joke anymore about his belly being ginormous. He's got himself in pretty good shape. And I think that if he continued, he continued on that road, he can be a serious force. If he could get himself down to 205, he'd probably do major damage down there. But who knows? Maybe maybe he'll get motivated and we will see a Roy Nelson at 205. I have my doubts, but hey, I will say that out of all the fights that I mentioned, one fight that I'm super pumped for, and that's just because I'm a huge mark for the guy, 
It's Pat Barry. He's taking on Shane Del Rosario. Uh, Pat Barry's four and five right now in the UFC. Uh, Shane Del Rosario, um, you know, Barry was coming off his TKO loss to LeVar Johnson. Um, and it's just Del Rosario. He made his UFC debut. He got a he got TKO'd by Stipe Miocic at UFC 146. I'm a, like I said, huge Pat Barry fan. I like Pat Barry. He, he's, he's a funny dude. He's exciting. He's a, he's a definite, uh, Kung Fu movie fan, which is always cool. Loves himself some street fighter, always dropping street fighter references. And like I said, he's just, he just seems like a cool dude. So I, I really am a fan of watching, of watching him go out there and tear it up. Not only that, but he goes out there to brawl Every time, no finesse, nothing, just Muay Thai kicks, just nasty, nasty kicks. Every time a dude gets kicked, you wince because you feel it through your television. So that's the that's the true fanboy in me acknowledging that, you know, I'm, I'm a mark for Pat Barry. So hopefully I hope he goes in there, handles his business and and gets back on the winning track. Because honestly, I'm concerned that if he loses, he will get cut. I'm sorry, but that's what I'm seeing. Anderson Silva's manager, Ed Soros, was on Inside MMA, and he said that Anderson Silva is interested in fighting GSP in the super fight, which, of course, they, they've been wanting to do at a catch weight. See, here's my here's my issue with the super fight. I like the premise of the super fight with something on the line. Bes- yeah, you can say that that being the best is, is, is worth it or being the best pound-for-pound fighter is, is a reward on its own. But but when belts are on the line, there's just a better significance. Don't get me wrong. I like the super fights. I'd like to see GSP and Anderson Silva. I'd like to see Anderson Silva and John Jones. I'd love to see that. I really would. But I want it to have some value. I want it to have something more on the line than just the, the title of best pound-for-pound fighter on the planet. Because you know what? If somebody beats one of those guys, you just beat, you know... It's like it's like beating Perfect Cell in Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, you beat Perfect Cell, but what does that mean? Especially if you beat guys just as good. It's it's a terrible analogy, but it's the best one I could come up with. Um, Anderson Silva at this point, if he's fighting GSP, then GSP should retain against Condit, maybe defend against Nick Diaz. Finish up in that division and move up to 85. Do the fight at 80. Do one fight at 85 and challenge for the belt and become champion at 185 and give people something more to look forward to. Like I said, super fights are awesome. I have no problem with super fights. I just think that there needs to be more incentive. There needs to be something else on the line. And just that, like. Uh, De Silva says GSP versus Silva winner is best in the world. Yeah, that's great. You know, you can walk around and say, yeah, I'm the best in the world. You know, I beat GSP or I'm the best in the world. I beat Anderson Silva. But to, to beat him for a belt, it just it just speaks volumes because you beat him for the belt and you beat what the guy that's considered the best fighter in the world. Again, my opinion, but I would love to see it that way. These catchweight bouts. Either guy that wins, you're not – yeah, you're going to get the, the validation that you won the fight, but you're going to get the validation that there was nothing else on the line because it was catch weight. I say either GSP moves up to 170 – I mean 185 and stays there, or Anderson Silva drops to 170, which I doubt is going to happen. GSP has got to make that move to 185. Anyway, he's not getting any younger. 
move up to 85 after fighting Nick Diaz. There's nobody else you really need to prove yourself against because everybody else you've beaten, John Fitch, Josh Koscheck, etc., etc., etc. So that's that's my take on the super fight situation. Now, let me let me grab a drink of this uh powerful rage juice and talk about our friend Dana White. Dana White, unfortunately, here's I love Dana White, I really do. Dana White is 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 great for the sport because he doesn't give a shit about filters, censors, or anything. He's he's brash, um, he's just cocky, he's arrogant, and and in a way, it's good. You need that. You need a face for the sport that that can go out there and and really be in your face and express his love for the sport. But one thing that I've always felt is is a hindrance for Dana White is the fact that he talks out of both sides of his mouth, which obviously is normal. For But what I'm saying is, he'll turn around and say one thing, then a couple of months later he'll change his tune and say something else. We, we've seen it. It happens. So, this particular incident, this particular bit of news, annoyed me because he was so passionate about, about shooting this down. He did an interview with Sports Illustrated, and he talked about Ronda Rousey and the potential for her to fight in the UFC. When asked about that possibility, he said, and I quote, it's absolutely going to happen. Could happen tomorrow. It could happen a year from now. We all know, obviously, that Zufa owns Strikeforce. Ronda Rousey is signed with Strikeforce, can't fight in the UFC until the deal is up, or Strikeforce is dead. Gee, way to to acknowledge that Strikeforce may be dead at some point. Not only that, but Dana White, I understand you're a fan of Ronda and Ronda's good for the sport and you think that Ronda's done great things, but you know what? Ronda Rousey is not the only woman that has gone out there and fought aggressively and been an ambassador for the sport. Let me remind you that Gina Carano was the first one that was pushed out there, that was mainstreamed, that was put in Maxim that got the movie roles, that went out there and brought Muay Thai, women's Muay Thai to the masses, went out there and handled her business. Let's not talk about Chris Cyborg, because regardless of whether you say that she she doped up or whatever, Chris Cyborg went out there and fucked women up. Marluz Kunin, Misha Tate, the list goes on. All these women fought before Ronda. What makes Ronda Rousey special besides a great armbar, Look, being very attractive and being outspoken. Dana White likes Ronda Rousey because Ronda Rousey's like Dana White. Not in the sense that she's a hypocrite or any of that because she's she's a talented athlete, but because she's brash, she goes out there, she sells the sport, she takes pride in her sport, and that's fantastic. But this is the same Dana White that said, you'll never see women fight in the UFC. You guys know this. I've talked about this at length. Now all of a sudden, because Ronda Rousey is is your is your cash cow you're gonna go and bring women's mma into the ufc what who are you gonna bring in you bring misha tate ronda rousey cyborg maybe marlou's coonan who else do you got what are you gonna do buy invicta i doubt you're gonna do that seriously you have all these divisions There's guys that are waiting to get showcased in all these divisions, especially the lighter divisions, the lighter weight classes. You're going to bring the women in. You got all these UFC cards. What are you going to do? Build the sport around three three or four women? Like I've said, Ultimate Fighter, 
with the ladies needs to happen. Or you need to start bringing in some t- some top flight talent and start building that division. But but that but that's the shit that kills me. That is the shit that kills me. All the shit he talked about women's MMA for months on end. And we all know this. We know it because we've seen it published. We've seen him talk about it. We've seen it everywhere. But now it's like Dana White is so far in Ronda Rousey's uterus that you'd think he has a condo up there. It's like, dude, do you drink her bath water? I understand. She's attractive. She can fuck you up. But dude, you're looking real, real greasy right now. Real thirsty. And sure, I you know, it's probably all professional. You know, I'm just I'm just breaking balls, but seriously. To be that passionate about just one fighter, one raises a lot of questions. I'm sorry, it's true. We have dozens upon dozens of talented women out there. If you guys haven't seen an Invicta show yet, you'll understand. Sarah Kaufman, Kat Zingano, I, I can go down, Felice Herrig, uh, countless women out there that, that, can, that can fuck people up. But we're, we're worried about the one. And you know what the problem with that is? Every time Dana White invests all his energy into one fighter, one, it blows up in his face. See John Jones. See Brock Lesnar. Am I wrong? Even GSP, because GSP blew out his knee, then what? Then what'd you do? See Anderson Silva, Jose Aldo. Every time he puts all his stock into this one fighter, the shit just goes sideways. And it's not the fighter's fault. Sometimes the fighters just see through the bullshit. Other times the expectations are just too great. Especially in John Jones's case. John Jones had all this shit. See Fedor. Thank you, De Silva. Look at Fedor. Fedor didn't fall in line with the UFC machine. All of a sudden, Fedor is now is, is now remembered by the Zufa zombies as a can. Fedor was fucking people up while these Zo- while while these Zufa fanboys were sucking their thumbs in their cribs. And sure, people can say, oh, well, Pride was rigged or Fedor fought cans. Fights are fights. When you get punched in the face by Bigfoot Silva, you let me know if you're getting punched in the face by a fucking can. Seriously, you're going to create an entire division at the behest of wanting to appease that one fighter. That one. It just It just paints you poorly and it just makes you look like there's more than meets the eye. Seriously. In some other news regarding Dana White, he popped up on a show in Vegas, I believe it's called Dave and Mahoney, and um, he acknowledged that Brock Lesnar is not coming back to the UFC. He stated he's done. Lesnar called me a couple of days ago. He is never coming back. Just said his body is, you know, he can wrestle, but he can't fight. He was contemplating coming back. Now, here's the funny thing. Not only about wrestling fans... But about MMA fans. And it's this. When I read that article, people were like, oh, you know, Dana White is shitting on Brock Lesnar. You know, Brock Lesnar fucking used the UFC to get back into the WWE. No. This is what happened. Brock Lesnar is a businessman first. 
and foremost. He's worried about securing a legacy for his wife and his children and his future. He went where the money was. Let's think about it. Goes to the UFC, gets paid a fuckload of money, gets diverticulitis, goes on the on the shelf. I'm sure the doctors told him, dude, you can go back and fight, but we don't advise it. I guarantee you that was said. When you get 12 inches of your fucking intestine, a foot of your intestine taken out of your fucking body, and you get kicked in that area, I don't give a shit who you are. You could be Superman himself. That shit hurts. You know? It's it's ridiculous. So a lot of people are like, oh, you know, Brock Lesnar used the sport. No, he didn't. Brock Lesnar did what he had to do for Brock Lesnar. And I'm not saying it because I'm a fan or, or I'm a detractor of Brock Lesnar, but facts are facts. Brock Lesnar's body can probably last longer wrestling than it can doing MMA. You want to know why? Because there's more stress on the human body in not only fighting in mixed martial arts, but in preparation for mixed martial arts. Because you have the weight cut, which can be unhealthy. You have the severe changes in diet. You have all the physical trauma to various parts of your body. And again, in Brock Lesnar's case, you had intestines taken out of your fucking body. I don't think you're going to be able to eat a knee to the abdomen. I don't think you're going to be able to eat a knee or a kick to the side of your stomach. You're not. It's it's not happening. I don't give a shit how tough you are. Facts are facts. Brock Lesnar's body will last longer performing for 24 days out of a year for the WWE than it will preparing for fights with the UFC. Sure, I'd like to see him fight in the UFC. I think he was he had a ton of potential, but it was too much too soon for him and physically he just can't do it. He can't. And and of course people are like, "Oh, Rich, you know, who are you to say that he can or he can't? I am not a medical professional. I don't have a little certificate hanging on the fucking wall telling me that I'm a doctor. But the fact still remains that you got intestines taken out of you. You can't do it. You can't. Simple as that. Uh, a little bit more monster energy there to wrap things up. Last two bits of MMA news I wanted to share course i i talked about the the death of the dream promotion and no sooner did i mention that the dream promotion is gone that i read that the dream promotion is back mma junkie reported that dream will return for the new year the new year's eve 2012 show dream 18 december 31st at the saitama super arena uh you're gonna see dream featherweight champion hiroyuki takaya also, you're going to see Kawajiri. You're also going to see Satoru Kituoka. They're all going to be competing. You're going to get both MMA and kickboxing. But there is no broadcast plans as of yet, so please access television, formerly HDNet. Make that shit happen. We watched that, my nephew and I, on December 31st. We watched, I think it was five hours of just random violence and you had wrestling you had mixed martial arts you had catch wrestling you had kickboxing it was it was amazing it was amazing it was probably one of the best things i did a new year's eve in a long time and you're probably asking yourselves don't you go out on new year's eve like most people do no i do not i am fucking boring not only that but i don't drink i am straight edge so what am i gonna do sit in a corner on new year's eve Go to Times Square and worry about some dude try to blow himself up in Times Square because every year 
there's always some sort of terrorist plot that they're going to blow themselves up in Times Square. And New Yorkers know this. Slick can probably tell you. There's always extra barricades, and then they, they put all these people in what pretty much amounts to pens, and you got to stand there until the ball drops. So if you got to pee, you got to pee on the floor, or you got to pee in a bottle. No, that's okay. You know what I'd rather do? Watch people get punched in the face, watch the ball drop while I'm home, kiss my wife, and go to bed. Call it old, call it whatever the fuck you want, but guess what it won't be? It won't be getting pissed on by some guy in a pen at 11.57 on December 31st. Sorry, but no. Last bit of MMA news, the injury bug strikes. Kyle Noak was supposed to be taking on Seth Bazinski for UFC on FX Fit. Wow. Talk about a fuck up there on UFC on FX 6, but was forced to withdraw due to injury. Now, Bazinski waits for a new opponent. So there you have it, guys. I think uh, that's going to wrap up the MMA segment for this week. Let's get into some wrestling because there is lots to discuss. Now, Booker T, of course, will take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! As always, My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by our friends at WWE Shop Zone. Visit wweshop.com and you can use promo code WWESAVE10 until the end of the month, 1031, and you'll save $10 off of orders, $70 or more. If you want to save $15 on, on orders of $100 or more, you can enter WWEAFF15. Again, if you want to order $100 worth of merch, and get it for $85, enter WWEAFF15. All right, let's get into the three-hour Raw, which is probably one of the lowest-rated Raws in recent memory, and a couple of reasons why, and it's not just the fact that it's three hours, it's just the fact that, and many people can attest to this, you're watching Raw, and you're thinking, oh man, Raw's almost over. And then you look at your clock and you realize it's like 9:48, and you still have almost an hour and uh, over well uh, almost an hour and 15 minutes worth of time 9:45. Let's let's go that route. An hour and 15 minutes of wrestling still, and out of all that wrestling, you're maybe gonna get two matches and four segments plus three recaps. And you know what we get to not see? New talent on television. Anyway. So, Rey Mysterio and Sin Cara took on the Rhodes Scholars in a very, very good match. Everybody was expecting Mysterio and Sin Cara to move on to the finals, but clearly Daniel Bryan and Kane are your faces in this particular instance. So, excuse me, you can do a face versus face tag match, or you can build it up better with the Rhodes Scholars. So, you could have seen this coming a mile away. If you didn't, you guys got to study up on your wrestling, but... The Road Scholars winning was fine. I think them feuding with Brian and Kane works. I think it's really, really good to watch. 
So I'm glad it went the way it did. Michael McGillicuddy popped up on TV taking on Kofi Kingston in a non-title match, which was, you know, here's the problem I have with Michael McGillicuddy. He is the son of Mr. Perfect, the late Kurt Hennig. And you're probably looking at him and you're like, wow, Ricky Bobby is the son of Mr. Perfect. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, he is. His grandfather, Larry the Axe Hennig. Anyway, the, the my issue with this is that you bring him in, you saddle him with this, you know, with this fucking non third generation nickname. Well, third generation last name, and then you expect this guy to get over. The number one reason that this guy would be over automatically would be the fact that he is the son of Mr. Perfect. I'm sorry, it's true. Yeah, you got guys that get over without ne- without the necessity of 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 using their father's names. Obviously, The Rock is a great example of that. Even Randy Orton, because yeah, they they acknowledge that Cowboy Bob Orton was his father, but he never needed his father to get over. Same thing with Goldust. Hell, same thing with with Cody Rhodes. These are guys that they got over just because they got over. I mean, the last name was there, but they never needed to be to to have their fathers come out and hold their hands. Ted DiBiase is a different case because you kind of needed Ted DiBiase to help his son uh, fine-tune his gimmick. But again, you saddle him with Michael McGillicuddy, and then you stick him out there with the Nexus and then on his own, and you expect this guy to gain traction. This guy should come out with a remix version of Mr. Perfect's theme. He should come out with the towel. He should do the gum swat like his dad and, and just add that to his character. Maybe spit the gum at the guy he's going to fight or something. Seriously. They're, they're, the, the problem is that as soon as you hear like a remix of Mr. Perfect's music, you'll say to yourself, damn, you know, that's, that's fucking cool. But the problem with that is that, that they, don't, they don't see that. They don't see that. And it, it's unfortunate because Michael McGillicuddy's a talented guy. He is definitely a talented guy. And they're just squandering him. They're squandering him, and it sucks. And then they just put him randomly on television. Come on. Nobody nobody would want to hear Michael McGillicuddy come out to this? Seriously? Exactly. See what I'm saying? That's the kind of shit that you need. And, he, and it's just, it's so easy. It is so easy. It's something so simple that the crowd would automatically be like, oh shit, he's using the theme of, and he comes out and he cuts a promo and just be like, listen, you guys know me as Michael McGillicuddy and that, that, that's the name. And you know, obviously they're saying that it's his mother's maiden name or whatever. And he can say, I didn't want to use my real name because I didn't want to I didn't want to be in my father's shadow, but my father was Mr. Perfect. And as far as I'm concerned, nobody can be more perfect than me, the son of Mr. Perfect. Boom! Instant promo, instant heat. People will be like, "Holy shit. Who the fuck is this guy?" That's the kind of stuff that's missing. How do the writers not see that? That's all it takes. He comes out and, he's, and he comes out with a towel and he's like, you guys are probably wondering 
why why I'm playing this music or why I have this towel. And and you can borrow a little bit, borrow a little bit from 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 Bully Ray and just have him be like, yo, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And people be like, you're Michael McGillicuddy. And be like, no, I am perfect. That's it. Catchphrase, done. Sign, done. Promo, done. Over, on the spot. It's all it takes. It's all it takes. But no, no, we just, we just saddle them with this shit. This bullshit. This fucking IC non-title match with Kofi Kingston. Nobody even knew who the fuck the guy was. And they give him the jobber entrance, which we all know. But, Then, for some reason, we decided to get a repeat of Antonio Cesaro and Justin Gabriel, which Justin Gabriel surprisingly won the match, which was good. I don't have a problem with that. I think Justin Gabriel's another guy tremendous talent he has a great look yeah he comes out sometimes and he looks like adam lambert but he can wrestle he has a great amazing finisher he can fill that void left by evan Bourne with 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 his beautiful shooting star press the 450 splash that he does is something you should build you should build his character with you should build it that it's the equivalent of a jeff hardy swanton bomb it should be that over instead He's in a tag team with Tyson Kidd that we barely see wrestle. And then all of a sudden he gets the victory on Cesaro. And nobody could give two fucks, two fucks less about it, which which is unfortunate because, like I said, the guy is oozing with talent. Cesaro, the loss doesn't hurt him because Cesaro is over regardless. And not for nothing, gotch neutralizer, flying European uppercut. He's good. No losses at this point would hurt him in the least. Then we get our, our our little segue with AJ stepping down as GM. Boo fucking who. And um, Vicky Guerrero gets announced as the supervisor, manager, Wendy's deli clerk, whatever the fuck it is. And it's because AJ was involved in an improper relationship with John Cena. Just Just more days of our lives fuckery. From the WWE writing staff. The only problem that concerns me now. Is that now that AJ is no longer. Running Raw. She'll be back to wrestling. Which means we'll have to hear this shit. And no one wants to hear that shit. No one. No one. Slick says, we were hearing it anyway. Yeah, you were hearing it, but you know what? You knew that when the music hit, it was because she was going to come out and make a match or come out and do something crazy. Now she's just going to come out whenever John Cena's cutting a promo or, or just, just bullshit and skip. She's going to skip down there. And I'm a geek. Tee-hee-hee. Tee-hee. I have little skulls. Tee-hee-hee. No one gives a fuck about you. And it's unfortunate because AJ Lee is a talented wrestler. Great high-flying offense. She's, she's pretty. 
And and the and the funny thing is that you should be billing her as a role model because one of the things about the WWE divas is that they're strong, sexy, and powerful. That's what they push them as. But you know what? There's no way that the average teenage girl can relate to them because they don't look like them. That's one of the funny things. When you're growing up, you idolize either athletes that you, that are in sports that you participate in or people that you just feel more connected with. It's just that that's how it is. People kids kids that played basketball loved Michael Jordan. They all did. Kids that played basketball wanted to be like Mike or Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar either because they shared the camaraderie of the sport or because they they just felt a kinship with those particular athletes. The problem with the divas is that no girl is going to feel remotely connected to a Kelly Kelly. None of them. Wow, Slick uh, Slick drops a, a, a big bomb. No one wanted to be like Magic Johnson after 1992. You know what the funny thing is? People still want to be like Magic Johnson. You want to know why? Because money keeps him from being killed by AIDS. So let's not even kid ourselves. The Magic Johnson AIDS solved by the dollar bill. So yeah, nobody wants to be like Magic Johnson unless you you have AIDS and you want to have the Magic Johnson AIDS, which is a joke that's been beaten to death, but you guys get the idea. Anyway, AJ Lee's probably the the, the girl that is easy, easily relatable to other females, to other young girls that watch wrestling. It's not the Eve Torres. It's not the Natalia. You know, Awesome Kong was, was, was a good person you could look at because she wasn't a skinny you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, uh, silicone chick. She was an athlete. She was a wrestler. She was not the norm. Same thing with AJ. Same thing. If you booked her that way, she would be probably the most over-diva in your company. People would relate to her instantly. Same thing happened with Lita. Lita, yeah, Lita was attractive, but Lita didn't fit the, the proverbial mold of the average diva, she had tattoos, uh, dyed red hair. She wore like baggy pants when she came out. Yeah, she had the little the little bra top, but she didn't fit the norm. She didn't come out like Trish Stratus or and even Trish Stratus as she became more mainstream. Her ring gear changed to where it was still sexy, but it wasn't like she had like like Kelly Kelly's ring gear when she had like the garters when she had the garters attached to her fucking boots. Like really, like like cheesy shit like that. That's what I'm saying. But you know, the problem is with, with AJ now, they've sullied the character to the point where people don't want to see her. Anyway, next up, we got a Ryback squash match as he kills the Miz dead. Then a nice little Kate, Caitlin segment with her and Eve Torres, which um, I think that the makeup truck and wardrobe is telling Caitlin to wear the tightest and lowest tank tops possible because most times when Caitlin comes on screen, you see her boobs before you see her. And you guys can watch any segment with her and you'll see what I'm saying. If she's bending down, tying her shoes, the camera starts from the boobs up. When she's talking to Eve Torres, the camera is wide enough that you see the boobs regardless. And that's fine because, you know, some little 12-year-old boy is going to be like in a corner fucking cranking one out to Caitlyn anyway. Shit, I know plenty of you grown-up mofos that are cranking out to Caitlyn anyway. It's the way it is. But, um... Seriously, 
they, they the wardrobe and and the uh, cameraman know what they're doing. So uh, yeah, that's the story with that. Anyway, that le- that led to a nice little cat fight between Caitlyn and Eve Torres and Layla. Which, of course, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, like I said, countless guys were visualizing that fight with them naked and with pillows and feathers. But that's a story for another day. Anyway, Dolph Ziggler took on Daniel Bryan in a very, very good match. As usual, Dolph Ziggler continues to impress. Daniel Bryan um, makes anybody look good. And Dolph Ziggler, he knows how to sell. Solid match from start to finish. And um, the big show in Kane was another fucking train wreck where I'd rather watch paint dry. Zack Ryder got killed by Del Rio. Shocker. Then we got the champion versus champion lumberjack match, which was surprisingly good. And can I tell you, the powerbomb spot with CM Punk and Ryback was amazing. The only thing that can top that was the spot that Dolph Ziggler did with Ryback in main event on Wednesdays. That spot is actually, I think, on YouTube now, and I think I even shared it on our fan page. Um, Ziggler went for the the Famouser, the leg drop. Ryback caught a midair and powerbombed him. Similar to what he did with CM Punk, but it just looks so effortless. And and obviously it's a two it's a two man job to make that that spot look good. But holy shit, did it did it make people jump out of their seats when Ryback powerbomb CM Punk? The entire front row, if you're watching that clip, they're just like, oh shit! And they just lost their fucking minds when it happened. And I can't blame them because it was it was a it was a cool fucking spot. Really well done. Super impressive. I was like, damn, that looked really good. So solid. Like I said, it was partially a good raw, but it was mired with a lot of lame bullshit that really had no place in the broadcast. Like a lumberjack match was good. The tag, the opening tag tag match was good. Cesaro and Gabriel was really good. But amongst all that was just horse shit. Now, on the Impact side of things, we had a couple of good matches there. Uh, the opening X Division match with Rob Van Dam and Zima Ion. I don't know what it is, but Rob Van Dam and Zima Ion just, they don't click. Their, their matches just don't work. And you would think that those matches would look really, really good with those guys, but they just don't. I don't know what the deal is. They just, they just don't click. Maybe it's because RVD's offense just doesn't mesh well with Zima Ion, but it ugh, just looked terrible. The only high point was Matt Morgan coming in, killing RVD with the carbon footprint, which, of course, is leading to Joey Ryan um, involving himself with uh, the X Division and get hopefully getting a shot at the belt. I don't know. I think while Joey Ryan, he's good. He's a great heel for the company. I don't think he should be near the X Division title yet. Ugh, I don't know. It, his character, Ron Burgundy's 70s porn stash, it just doesn't do it for me. I think he's a he's a great, snobby, charismatic heel, but I don't think he should be near the belt yet. Samoa Joe defended his TV title against Robbie T this week. Obviously, Joe wins via murder-death kill. Austin Aries took on Mr. Anderson. Uh, pretty, pretty solid match. Um, Austin Aries wins via submission, but I just felt that it was... Um, Again, a very, very strange match. There was some shenanigans with some brass knuckles, couple of things. I, I just think Austin Aries, he's in flux, especially after losing the belt. They were doing such a great job with him. Now he's kind of just going through the motions. I like Austin Aries. I like his 
his never say die attitude, his his cocky demeanor. Not only that, but he has an awesome finisher. Just a throwback to the old days with the brain buster. Always awesome to watch the brain buster when he delivers it on somebody. Last week he he dropped somebody with a brain buster and it looked really really awesome. So solid match, but could could have been a lot better. Um, Tara took on Miss um, Tessmacher in a rematch for the knockouts title. It, it was good. Some shenanigans as usual with uh, Jesse Jesse Goddard's Mr. Spectacular, whatever the fuck you want to call him, and Tara. But we know they're not going to put the belt on Miss Tessmacher right now. And I think Tara holding the belt with, um, you know, this guy in, in her corner, it works. And you can do a lot with it. I only hope that they put the renewed focus on the knockouts and bring it back to prominence like it used to be. Right now, there's 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 such a a lack of talent. You lose Angelina Love, Velvet Sky. You don't sign Winter. You lose Awesome Kong. What do you got left? ODB, Miss Tessmacher, Gail Kim, Madison Rain. Um, am I missing somebody? I think I am. I, oh yeah, Mickey James. She is out with an injury. But that's what I'm saying. You probably got like nine women, and you're you're seeing the same three. I mean, I was very happy last week seeing ODB on TV. I think she's a she's a great a great persona to use. You can put the belt on her, and she's fun. You know, people like her. She goes out there. She drinks. She she smacks her boobs. She she rubs her crotch. You know, she's just a she's one of those chicks that we all knew growing up that is just one of the boys. She's she's the chick that if she can't use the ladies' bathroom, she'll walk into the men's room and pee in a urinal. We all know a girl like that, so don't any of you front like you don't know that. You that you don't know a girl that that is in that ODB category. Jeff Hardy defended his belt against Kurt Angle in a super Super awesome match. Very impressed. The thing that that kills me is um, you see so many shades of brilliance from Jeff Hardy, depending on his opponents. And Kurt Angle has always been the guy that brings out the best of Hardy. Really great spots in there. Um, Hardy Hardy delivered. Aces and eights come out. They they beat down Angle. Devon, of course, just stinking up the joint. That those were the things, the aces and eights thing. There needs to be a better resolution. Either there needs to be a real leader unveiled, or we need to start seeing other members. If it's just Devon, it's just stupid. Simple as that. Anyway, let's get into the rest of the wrestling news for this week. Um, for those of you that did not notice, Jeff Hardy's been walking around with his custom belt with the with the stupid face on it. It's not the purple face. It's now like a regular. Uh, custom world title. It's just the the black strap with the with the crazy abstract face on it. Clearly, they're doing it to keep Jeff Hardy happy. Hopefully, he's not going to re-sign with WWE because TNA is scared of that. But here's the thing about custom belts. Custom belts, in my opinion, are should be relegated to guys that you know are going to carry the company for years to come. Like honestly, if CM Punk came out with a brand new belt. On Monday, after Hell in the Cell, and said, you know, this is the belt. This is what it should be, tradition. It should be about respect, not about some spinning mockery of a belt. I would love that. If CM Punk came out with, like, a classic, the Eagle belt or something like that, just classic, maybe with a white with a white strap like the IC belt, something different, but 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 new, but new. It would, it would be awesome. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see CM Punk come out and be like, you know, Besides the company not having respect for me, 
They don't have respect for this belt. I've had to carry this belt around for 360 for for, uh, for you know 364 days, and it's just this stupid John Cena spinning mockery of a belt. And he, and then he should just proceed to go. You know what, Paul? Throw that belt in the garbage. Show them the new belt. And just have them pull out the belt and be like, yo. This is the belt. This is what it's all about. It's about respect. And just and just have it be that because that that would look good and it would just add ounces of 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 credibility to CM Punk as a champion. It would show that the company's invested in him to carry the company forward. Not only that, but it allows him to to show you that he's turning the company around. He's making the company about wrestling. He's making the company about respect, whether he's a heel or whether he's a face. At the end of the day, three things matter in the company. Your champions, your titles, and your stories. And if they can mesh and coexist together in a way that works, then that's what you need to continue doing. Simple as that. Anyway, Slick is on the line. He has uh, something he wants to add regarding CM Punk. Let me uh, bring him on, see what he's got to add. Slick, what's up, brother? What's up, man? You have perfect timing as I down this giant 24-ounce Monster Energy can. What What do you got? Yeah. I definitely agree with you that, I mean, I can't really think of what it would be, but CM Punk does need to get some kind of custom belt for a couple of reasons. I mean, um, they're always making comparisons to him with, like, John Cena and past, past champions and just past so-called faces of the company. And, like, um, when he was wrestling against Sheamus on Monday, uh, they, they were mentioning that Stone Cold had basically given a big props to Sheamus on Twitter of the previous week. Oh, I have a story and for you Stone regarding Cold's that. Been, what happened? I have a story for you with regards to that. And how WWE uses revisionist history, but proceed. Well, Stone Cold is shitting on CM Punk on YouTube. Right, but there's more to it. Go ahead. Well, just you know something like because you know Stone Cold had the the smoking skull belt. Just something like basically something he could just you know basically put in people's faces. I I agree a hundred percent. I think CM Punk. Is taking the store, taking the company in a direction that we need. We still need attitude. We don't need a rehash of the Attitude Era. We don't need a rehash of the NWO. We don't need a rehash of ECW. What we need is wrestling. We need wrestling. We need theatricality. We need real stories. We don't need the whodunits or the who slept with who. We need stories about competitors wanting to compete, about wanting to be the best. Those are the stories that can be told not only with segments, but with wrestling. And CM Punk continues to personify that. Whenever he's out there and he's involved in any of these stupid segments, you can see the look of disdain and uninterest in his face. And part of it is part of his character, but part of it is also because there's more to the business than angles and bullshit. That's how it is. But here's the here's the thing that I, I wanted to elaborate on. You mentioned... Stone Cold talking about Sheamus. 
Here, here's the funny thing about WWE. Their revisionist history. Sheamus is a WWE product. Everybody's high on him. He's Triple H's boy. You can't have anything out there that makes your your guys look bad. Stone Cold Steve Austin writes a, t uh, a column for Fighting Spirit magazine. And he was talking about Sheamus. And he said, look, Sheamus is a great competitor. He's a great athlete. Blah, blah, blah. I just don't think he has it yet to carry the company. No disrespect to him, but he said it. He's like, I don't think he's there yet. He'll be there eventually, just not now. And Sheamus responded, he's like, you know, thank you for the for the for your your opinion. Blah blah blah. I'm gonna I'm gonna prove you, you know, I'm gonna prove it everybody wrong at Hell in the Cell. And then Stone Cold responded with the with what was read on Monday. See what I'm saying? Like they didn't give the full story. They didn't say, hey, Stone Cold doesn't feel that Sheamus is ready because obviously if you tell the fans the truth, the fans are going to be like, yeah, well, you know, Stone Cold's kind of right. Cause I've always said it. Sheamus is good, but he's not the guy that I just want to see on television as the face of my company. Not yet. And the only reason is because he hasn't gotten himself into that feud that makes him famous. Triple H and the rock made each other famous. Stone Cold and the rock made each other famous. The undertaker and Mick Foley, made each other famous. You see what I'm saying? There's there's that one guy that you have that one match with that changes everything. And Sheamus hasn't had that yet. And I think that's what Stone Cold meant. But of course, the WWE, for the sake of protecting their, their champion, they're not going to say, well, you know, Stone Cold thinks that this guy's not ready. I would agree with Stone Cold, though, because, I mean, right now, Sheamus is perfect right where he is. He has what's basically the number two belt. He's what, what, what used to be the WCW belt. He doesn't have the actual WWF, you know, WWE championship. He's right where he needs to be right now. And he does need that, that feud, but who would it really be? Well, that, that's the thing. The, the only way you're going to do that is by injecting new blood. Clearly, they're teasing it with Wade Barrett. Wade Barrett and Sheamus have that potential to create something great. And, and, the, and the whole reasoning of that is besides them both being bruisers, you can actually throw that, that, little, that little subtle, you don't have to be blatant with it, but those racial undertones between the English and the Irish. It's all you need. It's all you need. All you need is for Seamus to be backstage and, and, and Barrett walk by and be like, you know, it, why are you champion? It's like, shouldn't, shouldn't, you, be, shouldn't you be carrying my bags? Like some like something just real shitty, real elitist, and then just have Barrett come out and be like, "Look at look at your champion, this 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 Irish hooligan." You don't gotta be stupid with it. You don't gotta be racial, but just like, wh who, don't you guys want a refined champion, somebody with real pedigree, a guy who's tough, who can really fight? Boom, there's your feud. You know. Yeah, and. With Sheamus saying that he's going to prove it a hell of himself, I'm sorry. It's like, I, I want him to win, but that match doesn't mean shit because, honestly, who hasn't beaten the Big Show? That's right. The big motivator for who that match. shit if you beat the Big Show. The, the big motivator for Hell in the Cell is probably Ziggler cashing in. And De Silva just typed that as well. The the it's not so much Sheamus and the Big Show. It's the platform for Ziggler to cash in. Like maybe Sheamus will lose to the Big Show, 
Then Sheamus will get mad, bro kick the big show. Ziggler will come in, cash it, and win the belt. That could happen, dude. It's it's so easy. It really all is. All these times that Ziggler's tried to cash it in and gotten fucked up for it. Exactly, but think about this. Big Show beats Sheamus. Sheamus gets mad. He's like, fuck it. Brogue kicks him. Ziggler's like, oh, he's down. Runs out, cashes it in. And then the next night, Sheamus could be like, dude, I did that because at least if you get the belt, I can whoop your ass. And you can create a feud out of that easily. Because Ziggler's going to want to prove himself that he can beat Sheamus one-on-one. Dude, the shit writes itself, man. I don't understand how these how these writers have so much difficulty. It doesn't get any easier than that shit. Because they're too busy recycling the same old shit. That's what I'm saying. Anything else you want to add? No, I'm, I'm done for now. All right, cool. But um, you're gonna. You're, I'm sure you're gonna want to call in for the movie segment. <laughs> and the game segment. Oh yes, sir. All right, homie. All right, talk to you in a few. Peace. All right. Now, of course, with Raw out of the way, let's get into the other wrestling news. Like I said, we talked about Jeff Hardy, but one guy who's been who's been super quiet that nobody's really figured out yet is the Undertaker. A lot of people are, are concerned, and it's been it's made its way through various websites about The Undertaker and his involvement in WrestleMania, much less the, the storylines going forward. Now, the thing with The Undertaker is this. Supposedly, the, match, the last match with Triple H took a lot out of him. He aggravated his hip injury, etc., etc., etc. And right now, it's kind of it's up to him. That's where it is. They're saying that he um he had a he had a hip replacement or he had some hip surgery a couple of years ago and he just he badly damaged that hip in the match with Triple H at WrestleMania 28. Now what they're saying is WWE's you know pushing to get him back in there. They're saying that he may get in the Royal Rumble, do a couple of spots and get eliminated. Other people are saying that he may win the Royal Rumble and then challenge for the belt at Mania. And then just have a match that is less physically intense than the last couple of matches. Here's the thing with The Undertaker. I think as a company, you really, you have a guy like The Undertaker. He's a special attraction at this point. You got to give him the matches that mean the most to his legacy. Sure, you can do another crazy match with Triple H, but we've seen that. The the Undertaker's in in a place where he just had his kid with Michelle McCool. And you're either going to want him to go out there and give you a great match, retire undefeated, and go in the Hall of Fame, or you're going to want a wrestler to beat The Undertaker to solidify himself as your next phenom, your next legend, your next legacy. Da Silva t- uh, wrote in the chat, Ryback versus Taker, streak versus streak with the belt on the line. You know what? I have no problem with that match, and I'll tell you why. Because either way that match goes, the fans win. Because if Ryback wins, he solidifies his legacy, and he and he, and he stays in the main event as the man who defeated The Undertaker. The Undertaker can retire, and that'll be that. But he's made the next star. Now, the beauty of that is that you can take Ryback 
and make him be the guy that is undefeated going forward at WrestleMania. He may lose 100 matches, but at every WrestleMania going forward, Ryback is undefeated for whatever reason. Or if you wanted to do the right thing, make Kane become the next guy that wants to keep his brother's memory alive by defending his own streak at WrestleMania going forward. Maybe we do that with Kane just as a way to give Kane something something better than just tag teams and shitty gimmicks and shitty segments. Honestly, if you really want to give Kane something, you would give him the opportunity to create his own streak, to follow in his brother's footsteps. Again, stories that write themselves. Kane has been with the company for years. The guy is a loyal soldier. He doesn't get injured, he wrestles well, he wrestles safe, so why not? Why not let let Kane continue the legacy of darkness or the path of destruction and start his own legacy? You know? I think that that would be the way to really bring everything full circle. The, the Ryback thing, like I said, is good. But whatever match The Undertaker has, he should retire. And that following year, Kane will say, you know, my brother cannot compete in WrestleMania. He's retired. But it's it's my time. It's my time to create my legend, the legend of Kane. You know, and, and, and go with that. And, and just give him something. I think, you know, Glenn Jacobs, who, who's Kane, has done so much for the company. He's been saddled with some shitty gimmicks. The guy co-signed to the Katie Vick shit. He had to do the Katie Vick angle, for God's sakes, which was shit. Give the guy something for his troubles. Allow him to create a new legacy. It, it would only be right. Seriously. But who knows? It's going to be very interesting. The Undertaker may come back at the Rumble. He may not. But as of right now, his WrestleMania future has a big question mark on it. So I want to share this article, which I actually I, I saw this when I was in Target this past week. And then, of course, it ended up on the web and it's muscle and fitness is November issue. Dave Batista is on the cover, clearly to promote the man with the iron fists and also to discuss MMA. But in the issue that they put out, they talked about the best and worst physiques in pro wrestling. Now, here's the funny thing. I've read muscle and fitness on and off for years as a gym buff. Now, the problem with Muscle and Fitness and a lot of these magazines is that you have three or four good articles and 122 pages of advertisements, usually for Muscle Tech, Cell Tech, Xenadrin, uh, HydroxyCut. I can go down the list of all the usual stuff, uh, Lipo 6, um, countless, countless supplements. Anyway, occasionally there's there's good articles in there, and, and I'm not going to lie, I, there, there's some that are pretty decent, but... This particular issue, it's funny because they had the list of best and and worst physiques in pro wrestling. So I want to go through this list with you guys because you guys may agree or disagree with some of the people. And I'm going to start with the bad news first. Let's start with the worst list. We're going to start from the bottom. Haystacks Calhoun. If you don't know who Haystacks Calhoun is, I am actually going to put his name in the chat. Google Images is your friend and you'll see why he is one of the guys with one of the worst physiques. Next up, Abdullah the Butcher. Also, another guy. Google Images is your friend. You will see why he is on this list. George the Animal Steel. I think George the Animal Steel was in good shape. He was just hairy and he had a blue tongue. 
That's all I, I, you know, he was in pretty good shape. He wasn't terrible. He looked like every guy that was in a biker gang. But yeah, George the Animal Steel is on that list. The late Yokozuna is also on that list for worse physique. I am also putting him in the chat. For those of you who are not familiar with Yoko, you can see. Next up, worse physique, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm sorry, whether he had the worst physique or not, Dusty Rhodes is is just awesome. The American Dweem coming out with his with his purple leotard with yellow polka dots and sapphire and, and, and his music just just blaring. It was it was so awesome. I mean, it was it was one of those things where when you heard it, it was um you knew what was coming. As soon as you heard Dusty Rhodes music, you you were gonna get hype. And yeah, you know, he wasn't he wasn't the best, but he he knew he knew what time it was he knew and and seriously who didn't love who didn't love hearing this shit seriously who didn't love this Recon Dream. he's just a common man working hard with his hands he's just Come on, who doesn't love that shit? And I'm sorry, but you know what? You know what made Dusty Rhodes? I don't give a shit if he had the body of a Pillsbury Doughboy. But you know what I got to share with you guys? One of Dusty Rhodes' greatest fucking promos. Great. It was so awesome that you'll get a newfound appreciation for Dusty Rhodes. And I got to share it with you guys because it was sick. Check this shit out. Ladies and gentlemen, you all know that Dusty Rhodes has been injured. Well, we want to welcome back tonight Dusty Rhodes for his first interview since his injury. Here is the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. First of all, I would like to thank the many, many fans throughout this country that wrote cards and letters to Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, while I was down. Secondly, I want to thank Jim Crockett Promotions for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starcade 85, it is to the wrestling fans, it is to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, with that weight, got what I wanted. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years, they give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. 
and we all had a hard times together. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. My belly's just a little big, my hand is just a little big, but brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other one's right here. Nature Boy Ric Flair. The world's heavyweight title belongs to these people. I'm going to reach out right now. I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world now. Reach it out because the love that was given me and this time I will repay you now because I will be the next world's heavyweight champion on this hard time blues Dusty Rhodes Tour 85 and Ric Flair Nature Boy let me leave you with this one way to hurt Ric Flair is to take what he cherishes more than anything in the world. That's the world's heavyweight title. I'm gonna take it, I've been there twice. This time when I take it, Daddy, I'm gonna take it for you. Let's gather for it. Don't let me down now, cause I came back for you, for that man up there that died 10, 12 years ago and never got the opportunity to see a real wolf champion. And I'm proud of you and thank God I have you. And I love you. Love you! The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes fans. There was no promo at the time that blew my mind when I was growing up than that. Just, just hard times, daddy. Hard times. Couldn't get a fucking job. Had to get government cheese. My belly's a little big. My ass is a little big. But I'm going to whoop your ass, Rick. It was It was great. I don't give a shit if the guy wasn't chiseled out of granite. Dusty Rhodes knew his shit. Knew it completely and utterly. But like anything else, sometimes mic work is superseded by a million-dollar body. And that doesn't always work. Anyway. We got our, our best physiques according to Muscle and Fitness. Let's start from the bottom and work our way up. At the bottom of the list, the ultimate warrior. After him, Scott Steiner. Superstar, Billy Graham. Triple H. Ravishing Rick Rude. Hulk Hogan. Bill Goldberg. Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff. The Rock, and number one, which should come as no shock to anyone, John Cena. Those are the quote-unquote best physiques in wrestling, according to muscle and fitness. You can make a lot of arguments about it. Honestly, Goldberg probably was the most athletic-looking guy out of this list that you can tell you can probably get to that, that level with hard work. Second, maybe John Cena, because honestly, if you eat like a racehorse and you lift heavy for years, you can get close to that. I know a couple of guys growing up that they, they you know, they're, they're, they don't go to the gym as much now, but they did so much hard work from the powerlifting days in high school that they're still big dudes. All they do is they eat differently and they train differently. 
that's it. Maybe they walk around the block. Maybe they ride a bicycle, but they're still huge as shit. These are, there are also a lot of guys I know that do manual labor, whether they work on roads, doing stuff like that. And they have that, that more rugged yet cut physique. Now you can, you again, you can make cases. The ultimate warrior was super lean, you know, diuretics out the ass, crazy juice out the ass. But uh, in terms of just aesthetics, maybe, maybe Paul Orndorff, but Bill Goldberg looked the most athletic looking. You want to talk about looking like a like a statue or a superhero? Yeah, John Cena. Yeah, The Rock, especially now. The Rock is using some serious drugs now because he looks insane at this point. His vein looks like the size of Daniel Bryan. Scott Steiner, of course. He, he's another he's another massive dude. Tons of tons of fucking juice in his body. I'm shocked Batista wasn't even on that list. Yeah, he was on the cover, but I'm shocked they didn't put him in that list. Very strange, but. Anyway, that's your best and worst physiques according to Muscle Fitness. Last bit of news. One guy who's been off TV, some of you may not have even noticed, is Jack Swagger. Uh, Jack Swagger is actually being repackaged, and they're going to bring him back with a fresh gimmick. His hair's a little longer. And the reason they took him off TV, they felt that the way he was booked before damaged him tremendously. So they figured by keeping him out of the spotlight, when he comes back, he'll come back with a fresh coat of paint. People can take him seriously. We'll see what happens. I think part of the reason Jack Swagger got fucked up was because, you know, that lisp that lisp he had definitely was a problem. Also, trying to bill him as a, as a low-grade Kurt Angle did not do him any favors. And above all else, I just think that the way he was presented did not work. His amateur wrestling background was huge. They did a lot with it. But they didn't put him in feuds with guys that would allow him to showcase that fully. It was the typical WWE punch-kick, punch-kick offense that we are all well-known for seeing. Clearly, it did its damage and it's ruined his character. So, Jack Swagger will be back at some point. He's being repackaged. He was not released, in case you were wondering. He was just getting repackaged. Alright, guys, that's going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week. Let's get into some video games because we have lots to cover, especially with regards to some of the stuff that's going on with the Wii U and a couple of other things. So let's get the ball rolling with that. First up, of course, Mass Effect fans are awaiting some sort of news for Mass Effect 4. Well, rest easy because I actually got some news for you guys. Seems that Mass Effect 4 will be seeing a changing of the guard. Bioware Montreal has confirmed that Commander Shepard will not appear in the next Mass Effect game. They're going to go with a different sort of hero. Uh, Fabrice... uh, Condominus told VG247 in an interview, there's one thing that we're absolutely sure of. There will be no more Shepard, and the trilogy is over. We don't want to make Shepard 2 or Mass Effect 4. There's no more Shepard, but you're a soldier in the universe. So this will be a very, very different context for sure, and nothing has been decided on the rest. So there you have it, guys. You, um, I know a lot of you guys hardcore into Mass Effect. I know my nephew... 
John Blade is one of them. Uh, no more Shepard. Some new, a completely new direction going forward. So we shall see what happens in the coming months. And as soon as we get news, I will share that with you guys. In some other news, WWE 13 drops on Tuesday. I know many of you are chomping at the bit to get your hands on it. A couple of things I wanted to share with you guys. Um, Paul Heyman actually wrote the WWE Universe storyline mode. So be on the lookout for that. It's going to focus on some of the major stories of the Attitude Era, including the rise of DX, Austin 316, the Brothers of Destruction, the Great One, Mankind, and WrestleMania 15. So those are going to be some of the big, big moments that Paul Heyman has his hands on going forward. A lot of people are saying that WWE 13 is probably the best incarnation of the series to date. I beg to differ just from a graphical standpoint. I mean, Paul Heyman definitely writing the storylines is plus. The storylines are going to include up to 65 matches. Of course, they're going to be based on all the storylines from the era. But the cool thing is that you'll be able to change the outcomes of the storyline based on on decisions you make throughout the game. You're going to get King of the Ring and all the stipulation matches as well. Just as a refresher course, wanted to let you guys know the roster for this game. Our our regular superstars from the current era are Alberto Del Rio, The Big Show, Booker T, Brock Lesnar, Brodus Clay, Chris Jericho, Christian, Cody Rhodes, Daniel Bryan, David Otunga, Dolph Ziggler, Edge, The Great Khali, Heath Slater, Hunico, Jack Swagger, JBL, John Cena, John Laurinaitis, Justin Gabriel, Kane, Kevin Nash, Kofi Kingston, Mark Henry, Miz, Primo, and Randy Orton. From the Attitude Era, you get all your favorites, Mike Tyson, Road Warrior Animal, The Big Boss Man, Billy Gunn, Bret Hart, Bradshaw from the Acolytes, The the Late British Bulldog, Cactus Jack, Y2J, Christian, Dude Love, The Late Eddie Guerrero, Edge, Farouk Farouk from the Acolytes, The Godfather, Road Warrior Hawk, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Kane, Ken Shamrock, Mankind, Mark Henry from The Nation, Mr. McMahon, The Big Show, Paul White with the long hair, Road Dog, The Rock, Shane McMahon, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, The Undertaker, Vader, and X-Pac, Lita, Stephanie McMahon, Trish Stratus, and Steve Austin. I did forget, I gotta acknowledge that Road Warrior Hawk, of course, the late Road Warrior Hawk. Thank you for reminding me, Slick. I totally forgot he passed away. Um, the, the problem with this game isn't isn't the storylines. It's not the creator superstar, all of which are fantastic. I um, the the problem that that bothers me with this game is the double the constant double dipping. I understand you had guys in there that were part of the Attitude Era, but why not just make those alternate? outfits for those guys why are you wasting a character slot for those guys what about guys like um steve blackman al snow uh the blue meanie stevie richards during the attitude era you know ecw did invade raw at an early point in the attitude era what about um we can go down that list what about the disciples of apocalypse that were feuding with the nation what about los boricuas you know, Miguel Perez, Savio Vega, those guys. Like I said, the DOA with Crush, all those guys. You can throw that in there. That was part of the Attitude Era. We can go down the list. Slick also mentioned 123 Kid. I mean, you have X Pac in there, but 123 Kid was part of that. What happened? 
Gold Dust, Razor Ramon. Those were all part of the Attitude Era as well. That was the that was the beginning of the Attitude Era. Again, dropping the ball. But that's okay because we can give you, you know, three versions of Y2J and three versions of Christian and three versions of, you know, Edge. But we can also give you Hunter Hearst Helmsley and regular Triple H, even though they're all the same fucking guy. They all had the same finisher. Seriously. Why why do I care about Paul White? Big Show with the long hair versus bald head Big Show. Seriously. And then, of course, you know, you got your DLC with Ryback and all those guys. But again, you 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 drop the ball with the constant double dipping. I'm sure that it's going to be a great game and I and I will play it. I'm not going to buy it. But I know some one of our staffers will probably get their hands on it on day one. So there'll be a release somewhere. Maybe I'll put up some video for it if I play it. But I'm not spending $60 for, you know, basically a double dip wrestling title. I'm sorry, I'm not. Anyway, moving forward, it is officially after midnight. It is officially October 26th, which means Windows 8 is upon us. Now, the reason I'm talking about Windows 8 is for a couple of reasons. I actually got to play with Windows 8 today on my lunch break. And the Metro user interface, very nice. Um, I have to say that if you have a touch screen, whether it's uh, your regular PC monitor or a tablet, it, it, it plays very nice, Windows 8 looks cool, and one of the things that's being released to go with that is the Smart Glass, which, which is probably already available, this app allows you to use tab uh, your tablet to get information screens for the Xbox 360, and it's also going to be on Windows 8 tablets first, the way it's breaking down is, if you have a Windows 8 tablet, you'll get Smart Glass today, if you have a Windows 8 phone, You'll get Smart Glass on Monday. iOS and Android will be getting the Smart Glass next year. Now, the Smart Glass will give you some enhanced uh, features that you can use with that. Of course, two games that are going to be using that Smart Glass functionality are going to be Dance Central 3 and Forza Horizon. But they're saying that every studio title moving forward will be using the app as well. So I'm interested to see it because I've seen some video of the Smart Glass but I have an iPad, so I'd like to try it out. Hopefully, if I do uh, and I get my uh, I get my hands on it, I'll share it with you guys. If they, you know, if I get a beta or I get an invite, but it looks it looks cool in theory. I just think that it shouldn't be made mandatory because if people don't have any of those devices, they're gonna lose out on it. But if you plan on picking up a Windows 8 tablet tomorrow, um, you will definitely get your hands on it first. I saw a little bit of it. But they set up a kiosk in, in the mall by my by my office in Roosevelt Field here in New York City, um, in Long Island to be exact. And they had a Microsoft kiosk. And the guy was messing around with smart glass. What, from what I can see, they weren't going to let nobody mess with it until today. But from what I saw, it looked pretty cool. You get to see Xbox Live. You get to add people. You get to do all the purchases. And you get some enhanced functionality which is what Microsoft is going for by making it completely seamless. It's going to be a brand new ecosystem. Like I said, Windows Phone 8, Windows 8 tablets, plus iOS and Android. It's all coming together nicely. Should you upgrade to Windows 8? I, I leave that to you. I, I messed around with it here. It's nice, but at this point, personally, I don't need it. So if you're buying a new PC, you're going to get it anyway. If you're going to upgrade... Do your research first. That's all I'm going to say. Of course, besides Windows 8 dropping, we know that Apple was in the news this week with their iPad mini. 
their new IMAX, uh, their new iPad with the new dock and also new processor, which caused a lot of trouble. And I want to get into that a little bit as to how it relates to gaming, because here's the funny thing with the iPad, the iPod and any of the iOS devices, especially the tablets. They are viable gaming platforms. There's a lot of good games out there. Every time they make processor enhancements to the iPad, they showcase better and better looking games that run better console quality. And it's very interesting to see the presence that it's creating, especially in the portable gaming space, because everybody plays their their 3DS or their 3DS XL or their, you know, their PSP. But in this case, it's it's strange because this is a device that's always with you, whether it's your phone or your iPod. All these devices that that allow you to play these games are always with you. So it's creating bigger footprints in Apple's case with the with the iPad mini. You're giving people a smaller device that's powerful enough to run some really solid titles. Do I agree with the price that they set for it? No, I don't. I think three hundred and twenty nine dollars personally, in my opinion, is expensive for a seven inch tablet when for two forty nine you can get the Nexus Android tablet, which has thirty two gigs out of the box. But again, it's the, I'm not going to make this about Apple and Android because I use both devices. I use an excuse me. I use an Android phone and I use an iPad for the show. I use an iPod for for listening to podcasts in my car. So I'm in both ecosystems and I'm not going to sit here and and debate about which is better because I like them both. But I will say that with regards to gaming, Apple is slowly encroaching on that space in a way that before you know it, they're going to knock somebody off. And the Vita is looking like the target because a lot of people are playing the Vita, but it's just it doesn't have the footprint that Nintendo has at this point. So something to keep an eye on. In the coming months, for sure, especially going into hopefully the MPD numbers will start factoring in mobile games as well, which I've been hearing. So if that's the case, we um, we're going to be discussing that as well. I see that Slick has something to add to that. So let me bring him in briefly and we can address that stuff as well. And you know what? There's actually some gaming news that I want to discuss with him. So he will uh, help me wrap up the gaming segment for this week. Slick, welcome back. What's up, man? All right, what do you got? Um, I know what you're saying about Apple coming up with their, their stuff, and they, they definitely are coming up. I won't deny that being the Apple hater that I am. They, they are stepping up their game, but other companies are trying to step up as well. Like, the only reason why I would agree with you that the Vita could be the one to get knocked off is because they have not properly made use of what they they basically showcased when they announced the Vita, which is the connection to the PS3. Okay, that's and one. It seems like I'm sorry, good, good. No, no, no. I'm saying no. I'm saying that's one thing that you're 100 percent right on. But the other thing with the Vita that that also just hasn't been showcased is the fact that you have a, what, for all intents and purposes, a portable PS3 in your pocket. Yet, I don't see any sort of marketing on television for it. I don't see any sort of flagship titles being launched immediately. That's my issue. 
and that's where I was going with it, where, I mean, it's not going to be enough, but I'm seeing the possible start coming next week. Okay. Because with the, with the launch of Assassin's Creed 3, which is a multi-platform title. That's right. Ubisoft is going big with Sony. I agree. Because, and I, I think it has to do, you know, not to, to get off subject, but a lot of people are seem to be a little bit concerned with this Wii, with this Wii U launch coming up next next month. Yep. Everybody has a big package right now. That's right. Microsoft has the Halo 4 console coming out, which they're kind of bugging because 349 for that shit, they need to get the fuck out of here. True. Sony has the Assassin's Creed 3 500 gig PS3 coming out. Right. And that's only 300 bucks. True. That's why I'm saying Microsoft needs to get the fuck out of here because the only thing that Microsoft has over the PS3 is they're giving you an extra controller, which if you're playing Halo, you're playing with people online. What the fuck do you need an extra controller for? Okay. But whatever. Um, the PS3, I mean, they give you a month of PSN Plus in the package with the game and the 500 gig console, so you don't need to buy a, a new hard drive like you had that problem a few months ago. Well, here's here's and then there's the the Vita. The Vita's going. They, they they are being very small with the Vita because when they, I mean, the Vita's still in its first year, basically. The the Wi-Fi is two forty nine. The three G is two ninety nine. There's an Assassin's Creed white PS Vita coming out on Tuesday with the set the Assassin's Creed Liberation game, and it's two forty nine. Okay. So you're getting a forty dollar game free. That's a solid buy. Well, the way the way so, I, I mean, like I said, they're they're trying. I'm not saying it's enough, but they're trying. They are trying, but here's here's my issue. Apple, every update that they do, whether it's iPhone, iPad, or iPod, the first thing you always see. During the keynote is the one guy that walks up there and showcases a brand new game. Whether it's, you know, Infinity Blade or something of that of that nature. It's always something that you look at and you're like, damn, that's on a on a on a on a phone or that's running on a on on, on a tablet? Holy shit. If you remember, remember when we were doing Comic Con last year and they were running Uncharted on a Sprint phone. Right. Remember that? They were running Uncharted yeah. on a Sprint phone. And we were like, wow, that's not that's not half bad. So a, a, a mobile phone out vetoed the Sony device before it even came out. Because the Vita wasn't even a, a, a footnote at that point. No, it wasn't. You see what I mean? So, and that's the crazy thing. So, a phone came out running your game, and you did nothing about it at the time. And that's my issue with Sony at this point. You got this beautiful piece of hardware because it is nice, and you're just you're just not going hard. Meanwhile, Apple just goes and they say, "Hey, here's this tablet. It's three twenty nine, twenty nine dollars more than your Vita." And you get to game on it, 
read comics, surf the web, watch porn, read papers, magazines, do schoolwork. Where's the value then? You see what I'm saying? Not not that I agree with the pricing. I'm just saying it when you break it down to numbers and value. Not only that, but if you have air display, you're able to watch, take the stuff from your tablet and use it on your TV anyway, including the games. Well, I mean, as far as gaming is concerned, unless, unless on their next keynote, Apple comes out and you see, like, uh, you know, a, a major title, and I don't, I don't mean like an Apple version of a major, major title, I mean a major title as it would play on a PS3 or a 360 or a PC come out, that's when... You know, motherfuckers really need to be scared. Oh yeah, absolutely, I agree. And the but the thing is, it's gonna, it's going to happen. Oh, I, that it's definitely when it's definitely going to happen. But the thing is that, and this is the scary part, Apple is not even trying. You know what I saw? The the um, they're doing a Samsung event. They did a Samsung event yesterday where they unveiled the Samsung Galaxy Note 2, which is probably going to be my next phone. And they showed a thing, which is the MOGA, I think it's called the MOGA controller, the MOGA controller. And I believe they were playing Need for Speed on the Note with a controller that, you know, you snap the Note into the controller. You could probably look it up and see a photo of it. And dude, super clean on the phone. Don't get me wrong, we're not talking PS3 or, or Vita, but definitely noticeable. And and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. The, these these handheld companies, Nintendo and Sony, they're cranking out the stuff, and they think, oh, you know, we'll throw out a Nathan Drake or a Pokemon or a God of War, and it'll be all good. It'll be gravy. We'll keep churning in that money. And then Apple, they go, they do their little keynote, and they go, hey, um, Street Fighter Cross Tekken is running on your tablet, running on your phone. Yeah, and guess what? You can buy the game for five bucks. And yeah, it's not the same experience as the handheld version. But if you just want to go and sit on the toilet, throw a couple of Hadoukens while you drop a deuce, it's okay. It's all right. It's not a problem. You see what I'm saying? Like the companies, like Apple is letting people know Apple and even mobile mobile companies like Samsung are letting gaming companies know that, hey, you guys are making this money because we're not even trying. That's the scary part. It's like, yo, we're letting you guys eat right now. We are letting you eat because we're not trying. Because if they did, it would be game over for somebody. Somebody would have to say, yeah, we're not going to do any more in the handheld market. And all signs point to Sony. Because Nintendo would just be like, hey, look, Mario 86. Yay! That's the, that's the thing. For some reason, Sony hasn't learned their lesson from the PSP. Nope. Nintendo's learning their lesson from the from the Wii. Yep. Yes, they are. And that's why everybody. That's why I was saying everybody has a big console package coming out because, and this is kind of sad. They're worried about Nintendo next month, and Nintendo's releasing a console. 
which is still weaker than either the 360 or the PS3. True. And both of these companies are worried about it. Well, they're worried because what happens is right now Microsoft has a stranglehold on console sales. And Sony crept up and they're the they got the number 2 spot cuz the Wii is taking a back seat. With the, with the release of the Wii U, Nintendo can come back in there and make some make some serious noise either by knocking Sony out of the number 2 spot or pulling a move like they did with the, with the Wii where they were the number 1 selling console for like 6 months straight. But that's going but that's what I'm saying that's going to happen because the thing is if you use, I'm sorry, I'm going to say something stupid. I apologize, but the the um, the area they had for the Wii U at Comic Con, I I'm a, I always use this this analogy, but it looked like they were giving out free cheese. Okay, and 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 that's fine because it's new technology. There's a fresh buzz. My only my only hole with that logic is the fact that. Nintendo's Nintendo had the same amount of fanfare with the Wii, and once it got into everybody's house, and then they 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 relegated themselves back to doing old business, which is yeah, we'll drop a Mario. Six months later, we'll drop a Zelda. Six months later, we'll, we'll drop a Kirby. Maybe like right now, they're coming out of the gate strong with third-party publishers, which is great. I applaud them. I mean, I saw I posted the video of Ninja Gaiden on the Wii U on on our fan page. And, dude, it was a bloodbath from start to finish. I was like, wow, this is pretty awesome. Not because it was awesome because it was Ninja Gaiden, but because it's awesome because it's violence on the Wii, on a Nintendo console. So they're trying to do it, and that's great. You can come out of the gate guns blazing. The Vita did too. But it's what you do six months from now. It's what you do a year from now that will speak volumes about your longevity. Nintendo's going to come out of the gate swinging November 18th, swinging. People are going to be buying every accessory they can, every piece of technology they can to get the most out of their system. But let's let's have this same conversation in April or May or June about where where they stand with regards to titles. Because guess what? Where was the Vita six months for after after the titles came out? You didn't need a blip. A blip on the radar. Oh, look, you can play the MLB game on your Vita and take it with you and then play it on your console when you get home. That's all I saw. I I mean, I know where you're coming from, but I don't see that happening with the with the Wii U because I, I still stand by what I say about the Wii. The only thing that was wrong with the Wii was that it had shitty games. There was nothing wrong with the console. Nope. It's still a great console. Chicken it Shoot. It shitty games. Chicken Shoot. Iron Chef and America. Nintendo, Nintendo does not look like they're willing to let that happen with the Wii U. They can't afford it. They cannot afford it because you know what it is? You have people basically buying a, 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 a home console with a tablet that doesn't have multi-touch. And you're charging people $249 for it. And... If you don't give people the incentive to to make that investment at the jump, they're not going to feel comfortable keeping keeping the support for your product active. And that's what happened. 
the Wii came out of the gate, dude, I remember I went, I had Wii Sports, I bought um Super Mario, you know, Super Mario in Space, I went and bought Wii Fit, I bought a ton of shit. By the time I was done, Tatsunoko versus Capcom, which which gave me hope that they were going the right way, Muramasa the Demon Blade, I was like, alright, we're starting to get some good stuff. And then, Crickets. Crickets is what we got. Then it's, you know, Rapala Big Bass Fishing. Hey, look, it comes with a fishing rod attachment for your Wiimote. Fuck you. And that's the problem. You start off great. And then you just get comfortable. And that's what Nintendo's going to do. If they don't, if they don't, if they don't stay hungry, they're going to get comfortable and coast. Because what happens is when you're at the top of the mountain... You get comfortable because you think nobody's willing to come up there and sparta your ass off. Um, I, I don't think they're gonna get comfortable this time. I, I, they can't. From what I have seen so far, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think they're trying to take it back to to NES days because I'm seeing new new IPs that aren't aren't on any other console from third parties, like brand new shit that, you know, people want to play. Like, I mean, I, I always mention it, but I always go back to Wonderful 101. Yeah, that, that looks game, cool. That game is out of nowhere. Nobody else has it. And that game is going to be definitely a console pusher. That, the, um, I mean, they got freaking... Lego making an original title that looks amazing. It looks funny. It looks fun to play. Then you got the, you know, the, the rehash version of the games that are on other consoles. You got Darksiders 2, Batman, and Ninja Gaiden. And even though, like I said, those games, the way they're remaking them, if someone, for some reason, has not played it on another console and they have a Wii U, they need to get it on that console. That's right. Because these are great, these are great games, and if you haven't played them, it's going to be incredible to play on the Wii U. Well, I like, you know, I like Zombie U. I like a lot of the stuff that they're showing. I think, like I said, I have, I, I don't want the Wii U to fail, and and the reason why is because creativity breeds better competition. That's a fact. Whenever Apple does something good, other companies follow suit. Whenever Samsung does something good. Other companies follow suit. Sony, same thing. Microsoft, the same thing. When Nintendo comes out of the gate and they're like, hey, we're giving these guys a tablet and we're allowing them to play two separate games on two separate pieces of hardware, part of the same ecosystem at the same time, not to mention we're allowing you to bring your own storage plus backwards compatibility plus a better online component. And guess what? It's all under $300. You're giving people something that they can feel proud of buying. And Nintendo needs to establish that once again. They need to establish hardcore Nintendo support where people have no problem buying every game that they put out because they're quality. Not buy, you know, not worrying about, damn, I got to buy this other peripheral, but going in there and dropping the money with a smile on their face. When Xbox Live first came out, I remember I had the original Xbox. I went, I got it, I plugged in my headset with my year of Xbox Live on the original Xbox. I get online, and I remember playing with some kid. I think he was in Staten Island, some some 
shitty ass game. And I said, wow, this is the fucking future. And what happened after that? Everyone followed suit. Because they realized the future is online gaming. Nintendo's bringing us something completely different. They're bringing you immersive new technology. But it's not a matter of bringing us this new technology. It's the matter of making sure that they give us fresh shit that uses the technology to its fullest. That was a little long-winded, but you get what I mean. <laughs> I get what you mean. And, I mean, they got to have good console games and they got to have something like, I don't know what the hell they would call it, but, you know, something like what PlayStation and Microsoft have, like a PSN or XBLA. Because they need that. games like like Unfinished Swan, something like that on the Wii U would blow people's minds. Dude, Unfinished Swan using that tablet controller would be insanity. Exactly. It would be amazing. You're 100% on point with that. And they, they need to get the same way. They got to keep third-party developers making, you know, disc titles for, for the system. They need to get, like, you know, developers that will make these little games, that these little $15 games that people be like, wow, this is just, this is like nothing else. Yep, get, you know, I mean, a game like Shank. Is, honestly, PlayStation has that on lock right now because they really used to be Xbox Live, but since PlayStation started dropping games like Journey and Unfinished Swan, they, they have that, that little... These little niche, little cheap games that take just the simplest of shit and just make it amazing. I mean, if you really look at it, Unfinished Swan is like a beta version of The Blob. <laughs> That's it a good. Is. It's throwing fucking ink at a white a white canvas. That's a pretty cool way to, to describe it. And it kills that game. Oh, there you go. both of them. $100 worth of game and a $15 game shits on it. Dude, this is what happens. This is this is the changing of the guard, you know, when, when independent titles, when online titles can hold their own. I mean, um, what the hell was the one put out by, by Epic Games that was really good? Where you were getting the pieces of the armor and shooting your way through the stages. Oh. I can't remember. It was an Xbox Live title. Shit. It was like four. I mean, it was four to Xbox Live. I mean, they haven't had a really, really fantastic Xbox Live arcade game just like Limbo. And even that's on PSN now. Well, I mean, I mean, Minecraft is kind of cool. I'm not a Minecraft person, Minecraft but dude, Minecraft doesn't count. Minecraft is a is a PC game. Right, it's a PC I'm game. I'm talking about an original. Ah, okay. Original IP. Never been seen game. Well, I I, I actually like Mark of the Ninja. Mark of the Ninja was pretty cool because it was made by the same guys that did Shank. I mean, yeah, it's not it's not yeah, turning. How long will that come out? Oh no, I'm not. Uh, it's not turning. It's not turning everybody. Turning people on its head. But after Limbo, you did forget Bastion was a good game. This game. Bastion. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Bastion was but after Limbo. That, how long ago did that come out? True. 
Well, we could we could beat this up for the entire night, but I actually I'm glad you called in because I have uh, some news regarding your favorite game, Dead Island. Dead Island Riptide. Um, Deep Silver's creative director said that it's going to be a new character coming to the game and that the feel will quote-unquote be darker. He said the following. For example, in Dead Island, the beauty of the island was often created by man, the beach resort, hotel, etc. And the terror was created by the zombies. This main design theme has changed. Palanai is an island full of natural beauty, for example, wonderful waterfalls contrasted by natural destruction caused by storms, monsoons, and rain, and of course, zombies. Should be noted that this game is a spin-off, not a true sequel. In addition, new systems are being introduced to the game, like boats and flooding. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they're showing, like, um, where you, where you have to, like, defend positions from, like, hordes of zombies and shit. They're, they're taking notes from, like, um, Walking Dead and things like that. Well, I, I they're going in with it. I saw, you know, I've I've seen video of the game of of um, Dead Island, the original one, and you guys playing it, and and the conversations we've had about it. I think that they're really starting to see and borrow elements from what they're seeing is successful, not only in the in the genre as a whole, but just in the way you'd approach the the zombie apocalypse. See, one thing that The Walking Dead does right as a TV show is that it adds different elements, like when and and for some of you that haven't seen the show, it may be a little too inside. But when Rick Grimes and and the crew invade the prison, and you see the zombies, yeah, you got all your inmates and stuff, but you have zombies in riot gear, and clearly you can't stab them in the head if they're wearing a riot helmet. So you have to adapt and find different ways to kill them, and that's what I'm saying, like. A lot of zombie games, they just have them run at you, and then you got to just shoot them and move on to the next stage. But adding these real-life elements, like, why can't you make a horde of zombies chase you, and then you jump over a river, and they fall in the river and get, and go, they, you know, they just get stuck in the river. Or they walk through the water. What if you lure the zombies into a lake, and then you have to swim across the lake, but the zombies are in the bottom? You know, shit like that, shit like that adds a different dimension, which is what I like from what I've been reading that Dead Island Riptide is going to do. It's going to add all these extra elements that allow you to not only use your surroundings, but also make your surroundings your weapons, which I like. Well, you sort of did that in Dead Island, so I can see them definitely taking that um, into the spinoff and hopefully sequel, a full sequel. But, um... One thing that Dead Island does really well, and I don't know where this comes from. I just saw it on the internet last week. The concept that there's no such thing as safe, only safer. Dead Island does that very, very well. Okay. There's like there's always going to be an area where it's like you can breathe for a second. But it's not like you can stay there. Makes sense. I think I think that the thing with with Dead Island, which is something that I liked, was what you were mentioning. You know, combining weapons, putting weapons together, doing the right thing. I also liked that they did that with um, 
what the hell with Dead Rising with Dead Rising 2 the combination of weapons because in a real zombie apocalypse you're going to you're going to take your shovel and you're going to tape a machete to the other end of it and swing that shit around cuz that's what you're going to do it's just the way shit is so i i like those elements i like that real world appeal and it's good that they're adding all this extra stuff to the environment because it'll make the game have a little bit more strategy and make you play the game differently absolutely that's why I told you I look forward to it. I, I mean, I already pre-ordered it, and the game doesn't come out till we don't even have a date next year. Seriously. Moving, moving on. We were, um, you know, we were talking about Nintendo earlier, and of course things were a little out of order. But they were saying that the company dropped its annual net profit outlook by seventy percent when it, when it reported its first half loss of three hundred and fifty-one million dollars. The loss was forty percent more than expected. Now, what they're saying is that even with the Wii U launching, Nintendo only expects net profits to be $75 million. It was originally estimated at $251 million. Now, it gets even crazier because the Wii U is being sold at a loss, as per what Nintendo released at an investor briefing. Uh, Satoru Iwata was saying that the console is selling below cost. Meanwhile, the 3DS is no longer selling at the loss it once was. Obviously, manufacturing, uh, the yen's continuous appreciation, it changes things. But Nintendo is is gambling heavily, going back to what you were saying, on the success of the Wii U. It, you know, Satoru Iwata said that over 250,000 Wii U pre-orders have been taken just at GameStop alone. Well, Nintendo is willing to learn from and look what what I'm saying is Nintendo is willing to learn from their own mistakes. They're also learning from others' mistakes. You said they sell our loss, which when we heard the price we had to figure with that big ass fucking tablet that they're yep. giving you in the box, they have to be selling that thing at a loss. Because the Wii U itself probably costs nothing. This is true. But that tablet that tablet is what jacks up the price. If they if they were using the same controllers as you know, which they are using the same controllers, I mean, but if it was just Wiimotes and the the um, the Wii controllers, system would probably at most be one ninety nine. This is true, but what? it's because of that tablet that's what's jacking up the price, and they're learning from the PlayStation Three. I agree. The PlayStation Three took how long? Before people like really, really started picking up the console, it was well over a year. This is true. I like. I do like that and he it said was it because of that price point. I do like that he said it. Two hundred fifty thousand pre-orders just just at GameStop. You know, which is which is which is good. I mean, it, it's showing that they are paying attention to the numbers. They know what they got to do, and and I applaud them for it. And you know, a couple of people they get all paranoid. Oh my God, you know, seventy percent. Um, you know, they had a lot, they had a $350 million loss. Yeah, it sucks. But you also have to look at the fact that they were selling the 3DS, the big 3DS. There weren't that many titles. They still had the Wii out. They had the Wii bundle. They lowered the price of the Wii and there were still no titles out to move more units. That's how it, that's how I want to see. Depending upon what time stores choose to open that Sunday, right? I want to see the outside of like the Valley Stream Best Buy at midnight on November 18th. 
I agree. I would like to see that, but I also would like to see what people are buying exactly because a lot of people are like, hey, I'm going to go buy the console. Okay, you're going to buy the console. Are you buying any games? And if so, what games are you buying? Because, see, that's a good barometer to see where the success of this system is going to lie. Because, yeah, you can go and buy Arkham City or you can go and buy Darksiders or you can go and buy Ninja Gaiden. But, again, you've probably played them already. So I'm curious to see what people are going to be buying. I'm thinking, you know, Zombie U, <clears throat> uh, 101, things like that. I see, I see those titles being the ones that are going to move immediately. I think that what's going to happen, and, and you brought this up before when you called in, not, not, not during this show, but previously, was about how Nintendo's going to find, how retailers are going to find ways to move those titles that are going to be slower to move. Like maybe you can buy the system and two games and you get two, you can buy it with two games and one of the games might be like Batman. Yeah, I mean, that might be like something that happens that coming week because that coming week is Black Friday. Right. And that's, I, what... I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. Go ahead. I, another place I want to see is like outside of, um, Nintendo World. Well, I know it comes to the point where there's a shortage, and only Nintendo World has it every day. I know that Triforce from Empire Arcadia is actually starting to, starting to camp out for the Wii U. I believe this month, like recently, like the guy's camping out a month in advance. Well, fuck that! I, I pre-ordered it, so I'm walking in when it opens and getting my shit. Oh no, no, no! Of course, I, I got to worry about is whether whether there are games and. I got no problem waiting if I can't pick up a game, but I'll tell you what I would be willing to pick up on the 18th. That was my next question. I'm looking at it right now. The Super Mario Brothers U. Right. It's not for me, but I guarantee that Black Ops 2 is going to be flying off the shelf. Okay. A lot of people. um, Epic Mickey 2. Okay. I don't know when, I told you that there's the Lego City on the cover, but I don't know when that's coming out. I think that's uh, in December. Right. The games that actually will be out on the launch day, uh, I believe the Wonderful 101 will be out on launch day, which absolutely I'll be buying that. I'm looking at the Best Buy website. This is where I'm getting this from. They're claiming that the Transformers Prime game will be available on November 18th. If it is, I would probably pick that up, but... When Nintendo did their, their um, announcement speech, they said that that wasn't coming out until 2013. Mm. That game looked crazy. Okay. Wow, you got a pretty um, a pretty solid list of titles you want to bag on the on release. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> Not bad. I mean, they have. I mean, if I knew people that were getting there, I might pick up Alien Colonial Marines, but I would. That I would probably get on like the 360. Makes sense. Me personally, I'm gonna wait for a little bit. I mean, you know, at some point I'll pick it up, but it's not it's not on my to do list. But I will say that I'd like to probably if I did pick it up, I'd probably pick up Zombie U, Mario, of course, and probably the Wonderful 101. I want to see more on on um, Zombie U before I drop it because I saw it and I don't know like 
maybe it was like one of the quiet areas of the game, but it, it seemed like a less exciting left for dead the way I was looking at it. Yeah, I mean, you know, so it, 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 Comic Con. It could have just been the demo not doing it justice, but um we shall we shall see what happens in a few weeks. It'll be it'll be here before you know it. I also wanted to talk to you about Darksiders 2 new DLC, the um the uh, the Abyssal Forge dropping on the 30th. 9.99 or 800 Microsoft points. Um, it's going to be set in the Shadowlands. You get two new dungeons, new enemies, and new loot. You're also going to uh, go against the Mad Smith, a maker that has been building an army of his own. Are you picking that up, or do you have the season pass for that? I have the season pass, so I'll just have to wait for it to come out to download it. All right, cool. All right, so we we have wrapped up the gaming segment. Anything else you want to add? No, I mean, like I said, these are most of the stuff we talked about. We're gonna pick up, you know, whenever at the end of the year or even a few months after that, because these are all what if situations. Right. I do not. I don't see. I'm. I'm saying, I see Nintendo doing well at this time next year, as well. I mean, I believe they're going to focus on keeping this kind of pressure as far as good games coming out, whether they're multi-platform or new IPs that they've purchased from, from other companies. I'm hoping that, you know, considering they can't get that out anymore, they find some kind of original fighting IP to replace Killer Instinct. And I'm not talking about freaking Smash Brothers because even though I like that game, that is no replacement for Killer Instinct. Hell no. I agree. But I, I really hope they can find somebody to redo that for them or somehow get back Rare because Microsoft ain't doing shit with Rare. Well, supposedly I heard that Microsoft actually um, reserved the rights to Killer Instinct. That was news that was all over Facebook for a while. And I think maybe for from uh, Xbox Live release... Microsoft doesn't have to reserve the rights to Killer Instinct. They purchased Rare. No. Rare was... Well, for Nintendo what Nintendo they... didn't own any of the Killer Instinct characters. That was Rare's own IP. So when Rare went to Microsoft, Microsoft already owned Killer Instinct. Right, but what they're saying is that they filed, you know, they filed the paperwork, I guess, for something, you know, to, to renew the Killer Instinct name. So who knows what it might be. It might just be an Xbox Live release... You know, Xbox Live Arcade release with, you know, achievements. Or it might be something new. But I I honestly think that Killer Instinct, if done right, can can be the flagship fighting title for Microsoft. Exactly. I agree with, with why that. Why the fuck haven't they done it so far? Cause A then, good Killer Instinct 3 on Xbox Live would have basically, if it is like you said, if done right with a decent number of characters, both the the old ones and some new ones, would have shut down this whole Street Fighter madness. As much as I love Street Fighter, it would have murdered Marvel vs. Capcom. Well, it, it, that's the thing that I think, you know, Sony's doing with PlayStation All-Stars. Like, they're creating their own. Because you need that. You need your, your flagship first-person shooter. You need your flagship platformer you need your flagship fighting game title you need your flagship racing title you know microsoft has that cover with forza you know same way sony has that cover with gran turismo yeah 
But I see what you're saying. Oh, we'll see how it unfolds in the coming weeks. Anything All else? Right. We're good? We're good, man. All right, man. Let's get into this movie stuff. I'll catch you in a bit. All right. Peace. Peace. All right. Pretty, pretty action-packed gaming segment this week. Let's get into some entertainment news. We got lots to cover, and it's going to be a sprint to the finish. Now, we all know that Mark Millar, of course, has been involved, is, is, is actually one of the creative minds behind some of the new Marvel projects. And he actually shed some light on the sequel to X-Men First Class, which is going to be X-Men Days of the Future Past. Uh, he said that this particular sequel is going to be along the lines of X-Men meets Terminators. You're going to see, obviously, the Sentinels, you got time travel, all that stuff. But the crazy thing is that Deadline reported that all of this work going into Days of the Future Past, now Matthew Vaughn has opted out of directing the film. So it's going to be crazy to see what they're going to do. Deadline is speculating that Vaughn is picky about projects. So he um, he jumped off the Kick-Ass, he jumped off the Kick-Ass sequel and handed the reins to Jeff Wadlow for Kick-Ass 2. So who knows what's going to happen now in terms of the creative direction for Days of the Future Past now that Matthew Vaughn has dropped out. I don't think Mark Millar is gonna gonna take the reins on it, but I definitely think he's gonna have increased input with whoever is involved. But I'm looking forward to seeing Sentinels on the screen, only because it's something that people have been clamoring for, and with the direction they're going with this sequel, it's something that should really, really look good on screen. So that's pretty much where we're at with Days of the Future Past right now. Matthew Vaughn is out, so things are a little bit crazy we'll see what happens in the coming weeks with regards to that now in some other marvel movie news hollywood reporters reporting that shailene woodley who was cast now as mary jane in the amazing spider-man 2 is going to have a small part but she's going to blossom into the lead because they're going to go with the death of gwen stacy storyline so by the third Spider-Man film, they may be killing off Gwen Stacy. So a lot of people are like, oh, why are you throwing Mary Jane in there if you guys are going with the whole ultimate Spider-Man storyline? Well, it looks like they're going to mix that with a little bit of the regular Spider-Man storyline and include the death of Gwen Stacy in there, which honestly I think is something that if done right will be just excellent to see on screen. Of course, if, if it involves the Green Goblin in this new interpretation it would be good hopefully they go that route and don't try and do a cop out with some other character i think the green goblin needs to be the driving force behind it and you need to do the costume right that whole green goblin power ranger shit not the way to go based on some of the stuff that i saw from previous mock-ups i'm hoping that they use a mock-up that i saw for the original Green Goblin costume that I think if used in this new interpretation would look really good. I'm going to see if I find some pictures and I'll share that on the fan page so you guys can see what I'm talking about. But going with the death of Gwen Stacy would be interesting for sure. The Deadpool movie, we've talked about it on and off, on and off. It seems that Tim Miller said that it's looking like it's going to happen right now. He's um, fundraising for the goon. 
But he said that they have an amazing script and they've done some tests and some visual development and he's confident that it's definitely going to be done. Of course, uh, Ryan Reynolds is is still on board, wants to get it done, and he's going to be reprising his role. The script was re- was written by Rhett Reese and Paul Warnick, who did Zombieland. So it's definitely a possibility we'll be seeing Deadpool soon, but it's still kind of up in the air because obviously Ryan Reynolds is working on other projects and Marvel's got all their eggs invested in the Phase 2 section of their universe and also Wolverine and Spider-Man. But the Deadpool project is not dead. Now, ah, thank you, Slick. I'm a little rusty. Slick reminded me that Gwen Stacy does die in the Ultimate Universe as well. So thank you for refreshing my memory on that because I wasn't I wasn't sure. I thought it was... Um, just in the regular universe, but my Ultimate Spider-Man knowledge is fucking super rusty. I haven't read an Ultimate Spider-Man book in a while, so thank you, Slick, for clearing that up. Yes, Gwen Stacy does die in the Ultimate Universe. She is eaten by carnage. Thank you, Slick. So, um, I wanted to talk about this bit of news, and and I it may, it may take up a little bit of time in the movie segment, but it's something that I had a discussion with my wife about, and um, it, it involves Superman. And what happens is, When they were casting for Superman, I said that out of all the actors currently in Hollywood, Matt Bomer, who many of you may have seen on Matt on White Collar, would make a really good Superman. He has the look. He looks like Clark Kent. It it, it just worked. He had it. He had it completely down to a to a T. And I, I kept saying, I'm like, you know what? He'd be good casting. He'd be good casting. He'd be good casting. And then they went with Henry Cavill. Not to take anything away from Cavill because he looks like he's excited to do the role. He he looks like he can carry the role very well. But the problem is that Henry Cavill and um, even Brandon Routh. Brandon Routh could have continued as Superman just with the new costume and all that stuff because he did a, a, a serviceable job with it. But I always felt if anybody can do Superman now, Matt Bomer would be the guy. So... A couple of months back, it was announced, you know, it was um, it was made public that Matt Bomer was gay. And shortly after, Henry Cavill was announced as Superman. And I said to myself, you know, and this was just me speaking with my wife in conversation. I said, you know, maybe Matt Bomer didn't get cast as Superman because he was, you know, he was publicly he announced publicly that he's gay. And maybe they didn't want the connotations of, of an actor who is gay playing Superman, which Personally, it doesn't fucking matter whether you're gay or straight. As long as you do the character justice, it's it's fucking bullshit. But the funny thing was that I had that conversation with my wife and maybe one or two other people, and we kind of just talked about it. But it seems that Jackie Collins shares that same sentiment. There's a, a, a website called Gaydar Radio, and the reason this came up was because it popped up in my RSS um, from 411 Mania. Basically, Jackie Collins said that Matt Bomer was passed over for the role of Superman because he's gay. She went on to say the following, and I quote, Matt Bomer, who is the most gorgeous looking guy in the start of White Collar, he was up for the role of Superman. He had not come out of the closet, but people in the know knew he was gay. His his audition tape went in and he called up the agent. Someone didn't like him and told them he was gay. They said, no, we can't cast you. The reason he didn't get cast was because he was gay. I think it should change. But there are women out there 
who want to worship somebody. If Justin Bieber said he was gay, he'd lose all his little girl fans. It's a sad fact of life. So a lot of them get married, have a couple of kids, and pretend to be straight. This was Jackie Collins' logic. And you know what? The way she worded it, whether it's, it's speculation or, or, or it's true or not, I can understand that. Superman is as iconic as Captain America, Batman, and Spider-Man. So when you, you, you tell the, the mainstream press that the guy playing you, you know one of the most iconic characters is gay, the automatic, the automatic assumption is that, oh man, Superman is gay, what the fuck? Which is stupid. It's really, really stupid. Because, in my opinion, Matt Bomer would have done a great job. He's a solid actor. He has the look. And you know what? He's a, he's a guy that needs that role to, to get him into the mainstream. Henry Cavill is probably going to be a good Superman as well. But definitely, Matt Bomer was my choice. And to what well, if this is true, it's really fucked up. Especially if he tested for the role and, and it turned out that he didn't get it because of that. That's some real... That that's that's some real old school stupid bigotry on display. Seriously, it really is. Who cares if the guy is gay or not? It's it's not a factor in my opinion. It's unfortunate, and like I said, if it's true, it's really really fucked up. I always felt Bomer would have done a good job, but this is how it is, folks. And I got another interesting story about that. Hopefully, we can discuss that. Uh, the other story, and it involves um, Idris Elba, and I'll discuss that hopefully in a few minutes. Anyway, jumping back into some Marvel movie news, we got an idea of how Loki's going to be involved in the next Thor movie. Of course, the villain for that movie is going to be Malekith the Accursed. Uh, they're saying that in this particular instance, Loki is actually going to be in some parts helping Thor, so we'll see that there's going to be uh, of course, some fighting between Thor and Loki, but they're saying that they may actually be working together as well to fight Malekith the Accursed. So we'll see how, how that pans out. Honestly, Loki's character is just so so well done thus far that either either with Thor or against Thor, any anything involving that character is just a must-see thing. Because I, I honestly feel that Tom Hiddleston did a did a great job. He's added a great dimension to the character, and he's just awesome on screen. Not only that, but the chemistry between him and all the other actors, including Thor, is just fantastic. I mean, his work with the Black Widow in Avengers was, was amazing, and his exchanges with Tony Stark were really well done. Obviously, his exchange with Hulk with the Hulk is the most memorable, but either way, like I said, with Thor or against Thor, I think he's going to do very, very well in the sequel. Let's talk box office totals. Paranormal Activity was number one. Argo was number two. Hotel Transylvania was three. Taken Two was four. Alex Cross came in, debuted at number five. Sinister was number six. Here Comes the Boom was number seven. Pitch Perfect was number eight. Frankenweenie was number nine. And Looper was ten. Now, of course, Paranormal Activity, $30 million already in the pot. Paramount is already moving forward with Paranormal Activity 5. Deadline reports that the studio will continue the Halloween tradition with an October 2013 release for the fifth entry. Obviously very profitable considering that the film was made with $5 million. They're also saying that the studio is planning a spinoff, which is untitled, featuring the demon from the, from the franchise, along with mostly Latino actors. The franchise reportedly has a very sizable audience among Latinos, 
both domestic and abroad. Christopher Landon, who wrote Disturbia, will write and direct the spinoff, which is aiming for a spring 13, 20, 20, uh, spring 2013 release date. So there you have it. You got another Paranormal Activity Plus. We're going to get Paranormal Activity, the Goya edition with uh, Latino actors. We'll see how well that catches on. Obviously, making the movie for $5 million and you're pocketing 30 it's a no-brainer at this point that they're going to keep cranking them out. Similar to what they did with Saw, they're going to continue that with Paranormal Activity until another franchise comes along that they can just rape and pillage for five or six more movies. Simple as that. Here's something that blew my mind. Jean Grey's character will be popping up in the Wolverine. Famke Jamson actually flew to Sydney, Australia for the cameo. So we will be seeing her in the X-Men uh, in Wolverine's solo adventures as she pops up for a cameo there. Very, very interesting, to say the least. We'll find out more closer, obviously, to release. Wolverine will be in theaters July 26, 2013. So there you have it. Jean Grey back in Wolverine's life in the solo films. Earlier this week, I got some information regarding the big screen adaptation of Assassin's Creed, Ubisoft Motion Pictures, um, we'll be working with New Regency to make it happen. I, I had mentioned that Michael Fassbender was attached to the movie, and they're really looking forward to bring that to the silver screen very, very quickly. So I think Michael Fassbender being involved, hopefully they they just use the they borrow the exact story from Assassin's Creed one or two because those those stories are so tight. And so well written that they can just be a movie just like that unchanged. Obviously, I'm sure they're going to take liberties and make some alterations and make some changes. But in my opinion, you can just pluck that entire story verbatim and put it on the silver screen and it would work. But we shall see what happens with Michael Fassbender as more news become available. And of course, more Marvel movie news, Frank Grillo, which is a very underrated actor in my opinion, is in the running for a role in Captain America the Winter Soldier. Most of you may know him from Prison Break, but he's been in a couple of other things as well. They're saying that he actually is screen testing for the role of Crossbones, one of my favorite characters. Crossbones uh, works with the Red Skull, and um, if you guys have read Civil War, you'll know that he was involved in the assassination of Captain America as well. I'm a big fan of the Red, of, of Red Skull and Crossbones when they're together, but I think Frank Grillo is a small actor for a guy as big as Crossbones. When you look at Crossbones, just think of Bane with a big skull mask, and that's what you get with Crossbones. And I think Frank Grillo, for as great as an actor as he is, and a very underrated one at that, I just think that the physical requirements of the role just won't work for his build. I think that, that there's other guys out there, obviously... You could say, hey, man, you know, put Tom Hardy under another mask, but it's already been done and it wouldn't be fair to Tom Hardy. But Frank Grillo's not the guy I would go with. I would go maybe with uh, maybe a Scott Adkins. He's a he's a bigger guy. Um, yeah, definitely. Maybe maybe Scott Adkins. I would be I would be more inclined to use as um, as crossbones just because he, he's a martial artist. He's he's physically a, a bigger guy. And it would just work, but we'll see what happens. Maybe their interpretation of um, of Crossbones will work with Frank Grillo under the mask. We shall see. We got some news regarding Wanted 2. Basically, what they're going to go with 
is that this film is going to pick up with Wesley four years after the event of the first movie and that Wesley will recruit a young woman who was in a similar situation as, as him and take her in, on this brand new adventure. He's going to be playing the role uh, similar to how Fox played in the first movie, which could be good, could be bad. But honestly, if that's all we're going to get, a gender a gender switch for the, for the next movie, I just don't see it working. They should just leave that shit alone and leave it with the first wanted. Because if you're just going to rehash the first movie with the gender switch, it's just... It's just laziness. Leave that shit alone. Now, on the small screen front, we know that Joss Whedon's S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series is coming together quite nicely with Clark Gregg reprising his role as Agent Coulson. Well, joining him will be Ming-Na Wen, who many of you may know from ER, but also as Chun-Li in the Street Fighter movie with Raul Julia and Van Damme. She's going to be playing Agent Melinda May. So... You know, she's a hardcore soldier, weapons training pilot, but slightly damaged. So it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, Miss Wen fares with Clark Gregg in the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series and what kind of direction they're going to go with. Maybe we'll see some of those smaller scale villains in the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series. I would like to see some of those guys, you know, um, like the Wrecking Crew or like Speed Demon or shit like that. Small time villains that you can do some stuff with. That won't interfere with the Avengers universe like the Constrictor. uh, He's another good villain. Grey Gargoyle. Crimson Dynamo. Guys like that. That you can just throw in there and they they can be used in the S.H.I.E.L.D. universe. But you can also throw them in any other Marvel movie without much fuss. So we'll see what happens. But Ming-Na Wen is is a solid actress. Her work in ER was really good. So I think she'll do good in S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, she has no problem doing physical roles. Obviously, if you've watched Street Fighter, you'd understand. So I am looking forward to seeing what they do with S.H.I.E.L.D., especially with Joss Whedon um, coming off the Avengers success. I think I think it'll be successful and it will do well. Now, I did want to talk about this particular bit of information. Daniel Craig, of course, he has Skyfall coming out November 9th, and he's signed on to do two more Bond films. He's super pumped to do it. Now, Naomi Harris, who is actually in Skyfall, said that Idris Elba was interested in taking over for James Bond after Daniel Craig steps down. Now, here's the crazy thing. As soon as I read that, and and this happened with, with him playing Heimdall, the closet racism came out with James Bond. Oh, how are you going to let this black guy play James Bond? James Bond is English and white, not English and black, blah, blah, blah. All this closet racist shit. Here's here's something people just never, probably never thought about. What if James Bond is just a code name and anyone can be James Bond? Think about that. What if James Bond is just your code name and James Bond can be anybody? An English guy. But anybody, any MI6 operative can assume the title of 007 and be James Bond. What is so wrong with that? What is so wrong with James Bond being black? Who gives a shit? Race has nothing to do with the fact that that James Bond will always be James Bond. Smooth talking, quick with the trigger, and obviously continuing the stories of Ian Fleming. What's wrong with that? Who gives a shit? So Naomi Harris said that um, Idris actually met with Barbara Broccoli 
uh, or broccoli, however you want to pronounce it. Broccoli is is the is the way I'm gonna pronounce it, just because calling her Barbara Broccoli sounds like shit. But um, she said that who knows? She said uh, there may be a future for a black James Bond. You know, she didn't even know that Elba was British until she had worked with him. Obviously, she only knows him from his work on The Wire, which Idris Elba was amazing. By the way, if you have not watched The Wire and have HBO Go, do yourselves a favor, plop your ass in front of the fucking TV and watch it because The Wire is amazing. But seriously, Idris Elba did great work on Thor. He's going to be in Pacific Rim. So what? So what if Daniel Craig steps down, you know, after he does his two movies and, and they do a black bond? Who gives a shit? If you want to see Idris Elba's great work and, and and the idea that he would make a good James Bond, just watch Luther. If you have Netflix, check out his work as Luther and get back to me. That's a homework assignment. Either watch The Wire or watch Luther and then get back to me and tell me that Idris Elba wouldn't do a good job as James Bond. Like I said, think about this from the standpoint of what if James Bond is just the code name? And it can be any guy. Nobody nobody gives that any thought. But what if? What if that's the case? It's like what Bruce, you know, what, what Bruce Wayne said in, in, in The Dark Knight Rises. Anyone can be Batman. Anyone. Same thing. Anyone can be James Bond. You know? People complain when Daniel Craig was chosen because they're like, James Bond doesn't have blonde hair. Does it fucking matter at this point? When you saw Casino Royale and you realized that it was fucking awesome, did you give a fuck that James Bond had blonde hair and blue eyes? No. It was an afterthought. On the contrary, people are saying that his portrayal of Bond was just as good as Connery's, which is a separate argument all its own. Who cares? Fucking bigot shit. If the guy if the guy is a good actor and he can do the role justice, color has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's disgusting. And the commentary I saw about that would just made me sick. Sick with some of the shit people said. Sick. It's embarrassing that we in 2012 we still got that terrible fucking commentary hidden behind assholes with keyboards. It's appalling. It is 100% Appalling, to say the least. What do we got left? Ah, yes, Brandon T. Jackson. Many of you guys know him from Tropic Thunder, but also Percy Jackson and the Olympians. He will be playing Axel Foley's son in the pilot for Beverly Hills Cop. Humor Mill reported that Jackson is in final talks to take over the role of Beverly of the Beverly Hills-based cop who is trying to escape the shadow of his father, Axel Foley, who is now chief of police in Detroit. So there you have it. Axel Foley is chief of police and his son will be trying to carve his own niche outside of his father's shadow. I think that I think this has the potential to work. I really don't. I, I don't think it's going to suck because the, the Eddie Murphy's involvement while recurring has the potential to just add that little spark to give this to give Axel Foley's character life. Now, I don't know if you're going to call him Axel Foley Jr. or whatever you're going to do, but I don't know. I, I I don't see Beverly Hills Cop as a TV show being a bad thing. My only concern is that there's so many cop shows that on television that it's going to get lost in the shuffle. So they need to come out with something huge 
to get people behind it, either great writing or excellent comedy, something. Because otherwise it's going to get lost in the shuffle amongst the CSIs and the Law and Orders and the Hawaii Five O's. It's just going to get lost in the shuffle. I'm telling you guys right now. Last but not least, and you can categorize this under the what the fuck movie news category, is Arnold Schwarzenegger reprising his role as Conan. I kid you not. Arnold Schwarzenegger's like almost 70 years old, and he's going to be Conan. He originally played Conan in 1982 and 1984. You know how old I was in 1982, ladies and gentlemen? Two years old. You know how old I was in 1984? Four years old. You know, this particular film, though, it's going to be crazy because it's not even acknowledging Conan the Destroyer. It's not acknowledging the remake, and it's not acknowledging Conan the Destroyer. It is following the ending of the first Conan movie. If you guys remember watching the original Conan, you remember that there was the the closing monologue with him sitting on the throne old, you know, as king. And that's where it's going to continue. Basically, um, Frederick Malmberg said the following. The original film ended with Arnold on the throne as a seasoned warrior. And this is the take on the film we will use. It's that Nordic Viking mythic guy who was played who has played the role of king, warrior, soldier, and mercenary, and has bedded more women than any, than anyone. Nearing the last cycle of his life, he knows he'll be going to Valhalla, and he wants to go out with a good battle. As of right now, they're looking at summer 2014 to release this. Now, here's the crazy thing. If they follow that storyline with Conan as king, I think it would be it would be passable. I think it could work. Don't expect him to come out and do all the crazy shit he did in Conan the Destroyer. But acknowledging that, maybe having him have a son who, you know, uh, you can put in a young actor that can possibly carry the franchise forward. It might work. It really might work. I honestly think Jason Momoa did a solid job in, in, in the Conan movie that they did. But I have to be, I have to actually say that it's good work that they're continuing the source material from the first one. Conan the, Conan the Destroyer was awesome. Grace Jones, Wilt Chamberlain, a big, big monster. It was it was awesome. Conan popping up in Red Sonja, awesome. But acknowledging the ending of the first film is, a, is, is the mark of a guy who did his homework. And honestly, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach with it because it may not suck. I'll be honest with you guys and not be all that bad. Like I said, he was already old at the end of the of, of the original Conan. So continuing that story may not be bad. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, we sprinted to the finish with 10 minutes to spare. So let us wrap things up. You've just heard my take radio episode 160 for Thursday, October 25th, 2012. If you have any questions, concerns, are interested in advertising, or would like to be a guest, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also hit us up on our feedback line, 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. I did want to let you guys know that if you are a band and have some really cool music, we'd love to showcase it. That's one of the things we're going to start doing also. Uh, we've done it with Pulling Punches couple of other artists as well um artificial fear 
If you do chip tunes, covers, stuff like that, we definitely want to hear from you. Love to play your music to close out the shows every week. Um, we've done great stuff with OC Remix. We have a great platform. So if you're a band and you got some pretty decent music, send me some tracks. Let me check it out. And I'll gladly play it to close out the shows. You can also email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com for that information as well. Last but not least, social media. We are everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow us on Twitter at mytakeradio. Look for us on MySpace. Become a fan on Facebook. Add us to your circle on Google+. You can even ask us questions on Formspring, formspring.me forward slash mytakeradio. And, of course, you can get the official mytakeradio app. For your iOS and Android devices, it's $1.99, cheaper than a cup of Starbucks. You get 96K stereo episodes of MTR, plus you get exclusive small shows or exclusive segments like My Take Radio Beyond the Mic and My Take Radio Beyond... Uh, ugh, My Take Radio Behind the Mic and My Take Radio Beyond the Mic. Sorry about that. I guess the uh, energy drink is wearing off. Anyway, you get access to that. You also get access to mobile wallpapers and tons of other stuff as well. And we're going to start adding some more video stuff to the app and our YouTube channel, which I always forget to remind you guys. Make sure to subscribe to My Take Radio TV on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash My Take Radio TV. We're going to start doing more stuff there, including Blast from the Past with some video game stuff. We're going to do some commentary. We got some unboxings that we're starting to work on and we'll be having an increased video presence going forward. As always, if you want to help us out, make sure to hit up our Amazon affiliate store. You can do all your shopping for for Amazon products and support MTR at the same time. No middleman, no nothing, all the reliability of Amazon, but you help us out in the process. Last but not least, you want to listen to the show, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zoom Marketplace, and Stitcher. If you're getting the show off iTunes, please help us out. Give the show a rating, write a review if possible. Helps us move up the rankings. We'd like to be in that top 100 for gaming or sports or entertainment we'd like to crack it it'd be a it's a it's a goal on my to-do list so please help us out all right that is it wow that was a mouthful of shit i threw out there but yeah that's the scoop anyway i will catch you guys next week and uh, 11 o'clock eastern 8 p.m pacific thursday night um november 1st wow i actually thought halloween was on thursday for some crazy reason but we will be back on November 1st, next week. And the outro track for this week, uh, what are we going to go with? There's a lot of cool stuff. I think we're going to go with... Uh, let's go with Street Fighter 2's The Masked Man, available at ocremix.org.
Thank you for using Block Talk Radio. Bye.